Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Welcome to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Weekly winners from his Wise Guy Roundtable. Broadcasting from the pregame.com studios in Las Vegas. Here is R.J. Bell. That's right. And it's the, hey, April 15th, isn't that tax day, but not this year edition. And we've got him, Steve Fezzik. It's going to be an hour of power is the plan. Fez, how you doing? I am great, RJ. How are you doing? It's five weeks since Rudy Gobert tested positive and sports were taken away from us. That's a good point. Now say that in a normal voice. Five weeks ago, we were doing the podcast, and at the end of the podcast, we got the news. Rudy Gobert had tested positive, and the day after, all of the major sports— Oh, is that how you usually talk? Oh, <laughs> They, that, they, it all got taken away from us, So you RJ. almost spoke in a normal voice, first, they, almost a whole sentence. Now do the Fezzik thinks he's a performer, but he's not voice. <laughs> Same thing, though. How long's it been since Rudy Gobert? Five weeks, RJ. No, that's not it at all. All right. I'll, I'll point it out during the show. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we got a show, though, guys. And this is kind of, this is the lo-fi dream preview where it's just turn you know we got i got a mic at the house fez is at the studio social distancing yes but at the studio and we're going to talk sports for an hour or so you know me usually a little bit more and we've got dak prescott i've got a hot take now when i have a hot take it's cold cash over hot takes doesn't mean it's not hot but i'd bet it at the right price also a lot of nfl draft talk fez has his take on should the draft even have moved forward here little hint could fez does this decision would one of the decisions make fez money if yes that's the right answer so we'll see if we're right also best bet in the nfl draft two of them one's a prop and one's a draft best bet nfl on the season double them up double barrel also we're going to start with this actually but before i tell you what that is dave Esler, diamond dave he has an NFL win total and a hitman. He's from Jersey. His name's Tommy. Tommy the hitman, but he's a school teacher. He has a best bet in the draft. I like this one. In fact, I, I got a good bid on this one. But first, the biggest high biggest contract from running backs ever. McCaffrey. Fez, good to see. let's start in a narrow sense. Good for Carolina, bad for Carolina. Very good for Carolina. Continue. Paying him $16 million a year. Wow, that seems like a lot for a running back. But let me break down RJ. And I did some extensive work with this. So is that McKenzie did the work? No. Oh, you did. Okay. I had McKenzie. You better double check. McKenzie's been doing other projects for me. So this this one is a... Is fe- that right? Is a Fezzik. So I thought, you know what? I thought I should do this because if you remember, RJ... Just last year, I was putting together, before the season started 2019, my top wide receivers and running backs. I gave you a preliminary list, and you're like, Fez, where is McCaffrey? And I don't remember that. I think, Mc- I think it went another way, is you had your super list of one and a half points. So for, for new listeners, is 
NFL quarterbacks are worth sometimes up to Aaron Rodgers in his prime was worth like nine and a half or ten points, ten points even. The typical really good quarterbacks, four or five of them, six of them, worth, you know, seven points or so. Six might be too many, but okay. And it's all relative to the backup, obviously. Anytime we do injuries, it is. And then for non-quarterbacks, there's usually about three or so that's worth a point and a half. Then about it for you, because you are more generous with this, about a, de- a dozen or so, and I don't think generous is a word. That's me being generous, using generous, is you have about a dozen or so that are worth a point. And then you've got, I don't know, you've got like 500 it's worth a half a point. I don't un- even know that list. That's a mythical list. And I was looking at your point and a half list last year, and it was like, where's McCaffrey? Right? And McCaffrey was nowhere. I think I had him. Initially, at half a point. And that list doesn't exist. And that list does not list. Thus, he that was just not goes, on. That just goes whenever you, you know, on air, you'll just decide. Th- thus, he was not on the list. And exactly. You're like, you're like uh, take a look at McCaffrey. Get back to me. So bottom line is the reason McCaffrey's so valuable is because of his receiving yards along with his rushing yards. So I went ahead and polished up the numbers, and I said to myself, you know, McCaffrey just had a really great year. Last year, how valuable is he? Is he worth sixteen million a year? Is he the best running back? And I got to tell you, RJ, the numbers are pretty compelling. So what I did is I, I went ahead and looked at the two-year averages, re- rushing and receiving. And why two years? I just thought a better overall picture than just last year. And I actually think, yeah. But the question is, McCaffrey's been around for three. And if anything, if I recall, his middle year wasn't a good year for him. Uh, especially relative to last year. So by going two, you're making a concession. Uh, McCaffrey's going to not look as dominant with two. So this is a fair assessment, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, and I took a look at arguably the best running backs going into this year that we have. And so I looked at McCaffrey along with Zeke Elliott, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, Kamara, and Barkley of the Giants. So I thought now, that— isn't it fascinating? Hmm. That's a great list, actually. Because if you would have said the best running backs and even had a list of three 20, 24 months ago, so it would have been after one McCaffrey season, so he's not on the list, probably not on the list, who would you have had on the list? Well, so Zeke would have made it. For sure. You know what? I don't know if Derrick Henry makes it. and oh, nobody... he, Derrick Henry 24 months ago? He, you could have listed 15 running backs. He wouldn't have You're been You're right. On it. You're right. And no one else. It would have just been Zeke. That's I it. didn't ask that. I said, who would have been on the list? Elliot only. The only, it would have been a list of one of the three best running backs. <laughs> <laughs> of, these, of these guys. No, I didn't ask that, did I? Yeah. So, um, obviously, Bell from okay. Pittsburgh, right? Yeah, and I think so. Let's see who would be the third. I'd have to go back and look. Let's, let's see the way the Fezzik brain works. Just we'll just keep the tape rolling. <laughs> I'd have to actually go back to the 2017 no, I, production. No, I'm uh, the production of Fez. <laughs> this is this is For like a guy. Leaders. This, this is like data. All right, so it it would strike me. But why don't we have McKenzie jump in? McKenzie, who would be on your list? Oh, I'm just looking at the best fantasy guys from 2017. So 24 months so, ago, so Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley was number one. Bell, Kamara, uh, and Kareem Hunt was also in the tops. Right, and and so you're saying at that point. Johnson had already dropped off? 
which which? Oh, jo- I'm which, sorry. Am I? I'm talking Arizona's running back. Oh yeah, he he was hurt that year. So oh, so that was it. So boy, it's been that many years. I think 2015 was his good year. 2016, he led the league in oh, fantasy 16. points. Okay, 16. All right. So wait a minute. So 2016, he led the league in fantasy points. So entering the 17th season. Okay, but I guess this would have been entering if we said 24 months ago. It would have been, so entering the 17th season, David Johnson would have been the top running back. Yeah. So three years back. So it's just the point I'm saying is that literally the top. Usually the natural progression would be you're on the top for a while. I'm saying of any industry, right? Whatever the cycle time is, it might be 20 years you're on top, it might be a year, and then you're good but not great, and then you're average. It's like. John, I mean, I say Johnson. You guys don't know who I'm talking about. <laughs> exactly. It, 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 Chris Johnson. Yeah, it, yeah, it's that bad. But a guy literally 36 months ago was the number one back in the NFL. Tremendous turnover in terms of the top list. And frankly, my seven guys, six of the seven are age 24 or younger. So it really is. And we. this is not any special statement, like any great insight. But the extent that this is the case, I think, is an insight. It's a young man's game, the NFL. Running back is by far the youngest skewing position. They take a ton of punishment. And if you tie this back to the collective bargaining agreement that was just signed for now 11 years, a 10-year extension, the running backs got screwed. That if they would have had their own, almost like where there's a union, that there's the steel workers and the coal mine, and let's say they're all negotiating a contract together, they're going to have the things that matter most to the coal miners, things that matter most to the steel workers, et cetera, truck drivers, teamsters, whatever. If they would have had that partitioned off in the NFL, the running back representatives would have been adamant. That we, you can't fight fit fifth year, and that's the key is that fifth year. Because if you can get, like they're doing to Henry, do you really think there's any chance? When do they ever tag someone a running back. When has a running back ever been tagged and then signed by that team? I don't know if it's ever happened. I'm trying to think of one, and the, the problem becomes it. The well, problem for whom? For the running back yes. is that the league, the league just has so many examples of bad contracts to running backs after they turn age 25 that it's just going to become more and more rare for any team to give a running back a big contract after 25. So let's think about that. I think it's a smart decision for the team. But, and listen, I'm I on the national radio host or radio host or whatever list you want to make of people pontificating on sports, I'm in the bottom quartile of player empowerment. Right? In general, I want everyone to get their fair share. And it just feels like the players take their share and they're still complaining a lot of the time. And the idea to me, listen, my dad was as union as they get or is as union as they get. And I, you know, to be honest, I was eating, you know, my, my entire life until I was an adult was, uh, the, the money came, it was bankrolled by the union effectively, coal miner, you know, coal mining union. And I, I, when I was a kid, there were still people around that were around. Let's think about it. So I was, a, let's say I was 10 and or not, let's say I was 10 in 1980. So if a guy was 60, then he would have been 30, 30 years before. So like right after the war. Yeah. So 1950. Yeah. 
you know, the whole Molly Maguire's and all that, which if you don't know much, you know, if you're just pure anti-union, you know, look at the Molly Maguire's and, and, and you know, the old Tennessee uh, Ford Williams or Williams Ford, I can't remember, but he had this song, 16 Tons. And it's a great song, actually. And uh, it was like the only 40, you were talking about an impoverished upbringing. The only records we had in the house before I was old enough to buy anything was they had the Elvis double platinum. It was a go- two gold records. It was real cool. You could see through it. It was like, like a clear gold. It was one of those you call, you know, CBS 800, whatever, and they charge you 29 bucks for shipping. One of those deals, I think. And he had an old 45 of that Tennessee Williams song, and it said, you load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't call me. I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. And that's how it was, literally. You would work, and at the end of the work week, you owed money because of you lived there. You didn't. You couldn't buy a house. And that's egregious, obviously, right? Anyone saying Mr. Bernstein, ha, 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 eh, I don't get it. I'm a businessman, but I don't get that. But by the other hand, this idea that the players literally don't honor their contract. It's like, oh, last year the contract? I don't think I'm paid properly. I'm not coming in until I get a new contract. Okay, but imagine if the owners try to do that. You know, you didn't work out. Now, I get it. I hear, I'm going to say the slightly less intelligent, screaming, why in the NFL don't kind of sign on the four-year? Yeah, that's the deal. That's the contract. You can get a guaranteed contract. Negotiate it. All right, Kirk Cousins got it. Right, take less money. Have a guarantee. Whatever it, the equation is, you when you agree to a contract, honor it. And the owners do. And I don't think these oh, owners would cut my thumb off probably for money. I'm not saying I like the owners. I'm saying I like there to be a system that we can trust that the if someone makes a deal, they keep the deal. I mean, imagine how far you got to get away from the basics to not want that. And to me... You look at these running backs, and it's built for holdout. You know, I just heard today on the Fox updates on, on the show, who was it? That's, it's not Kamara, is it? Someone was saying he's, he's entering his fourth year, and he's going to hold out if he doesn't get a deal. You guys remember who, who they were talking about? No, I didn't hear that story. Yeah, do a search just for, you know, holdout running back, see what pops. But it's just, it be, it's become like a standard now. You know, like, like, because I run, and listen, I'm not so sure in this case that I don't, if any case in sports, if you are running back and you get four years at a relatively modest salary, one of the reasons draft choices are so attractive for the teams is because it's a cost certainty and it's, it's reasonable cost. And again, remember, this is all relative to football dollars. We can say they're getting paid too much, but they're getting a percentage of the profit. So to me, that's that's perfect. Everyone's getting their share. And to say the players deserve more than half doesn't sound right to me. It sounds like half's right. And let's be candid. Look at the XFL. Look at the not these leagues when they you don't have the owners that's done the right things in the past. I mean, I thought the XFL was taken off. I, I can't actually... First, we'll have to talk about that. I can't even believe... In fact, this is a great time because we're talking about the... Hey, why is the owners getting such preferential treatment? Because they took a risk of all risk to start a sports league. How many sports leagues have been started that failed, 
right? Or they paid billions of dollars for the team. Yeah, and there's discussions. I just saw an article, RJ, will there ever be another startup football league after this XFL went down? And imagine that. It was just a few months ago, we're like, oh, well, this XFL is going to be around for at least a few years. A few, for months, a few months ago, I yeah. Know. I mean, you just said it's been five weeks. It's been five weeks, right? That's what you said? Five lonely, quiet weeks. Well, you're used to it. <laughs> that's RJ. That, that's Steve Fezzik. I'm RJ Val. All right. So, you know, actually, though, I want to hear, I mean, like, like, what the hell? Like, I don't, I understand. You know, the funny thing is, I, if I, if they didn't have all these deals with the networks or they had whatever, I would have thought they're just going bankrupt and they're going to restart next year. You know, it's just a corporate move, right? I mean, the whole idea of having an LLC, if you're smaller, or to incorporate is to have a, a veil, you know, the corporate veil, it's called, and it's not able to be pierced if it's done right. And it's just a fancy way of saying you're not getting Vince McMahon's money, right? He's going to huh. put so much into the endeavor. When you make a deal with that entity, you're not making a deal with Vince McMahon. You're making a deal with the entity. And it's your job to figure out how much money the entity has or whatever and decide if you want to do business with the entity. Sometimes the uh, banks do this often with small LLCs. If you want any kind of dealings, you got to co-sign it where you as an individual. They could have asked Vince McMahon for that and he could have refused. That's business. And it would have made sense that, hey, this year is a bust. Let's blow this thing up and start over under a new name. But I don't think you can do that with the press around it and stuff. So I don't understand how this thing didn't make. And my understanding is Vince put like, oh, the thing I heard was 200 million to 200 sticks. And and he burned through that? Where'd they spend the money? It's hard to believe when there was only eight teams. And by all accounts, I would say the XFL was slightly exceeding what oh, the expectations oh, for, I were. I think probably more than slightly. More than slightly, yeah. And I mean, for you, it was. <laughs> You'll be undefeated for life. Yes. Um, small consolation, what had become my favorite uh, sport for uh, a glimmer of five weeks of my life. Fez, <laughs> what is your... Let's dig into McCaffrey and let's dig into the idea of the dual threat. Why is that? I think I'm not... I don't want to act like I don't know the answer. That's more important today than it was even five years ago. Why? Well, it comes down to, and we've spoken about this, passing the ball is more efficient than running the ball. So all of the really good running backs, they pick up about five yards per carry, maybe just a little bit less. But when they're catching the ball, they're picking up eight, eight and a half yards per catch. And so those catches, the production yards you get from those are actually more efficient as if you're catching all these dump-off passes that get completed, what, 85% of the time. But under that theory, though, if you just pass all the time, no matter who was on the field, you'd be better off. So we know that's not the case. I think it's – but I agree with you. In general, because there's more efficiency in theory and passing, there's more passing. That's being able to catch passes is important. But I think it's what Belichick has shown the league is a part of this too. And tell me if you agree. Is the idea that if you're multiple, if you bring out Henry, you're telling the defense something. Doesn't mean you have to throw or run every time. But if you look at the numbers, I'm guessing that the percentage of time they run when Henry's on the field is much higher than when he's not. Yes, and if you look at his actual production numbers, Henry's been averaging 1,300 yards 
carrying the ball the last two years, only 152 yards catching the ball. You can see that's not multidimensional. Yeah, so if you just add up the numbers, it's less. I agree, but the next level to it is that you don't, you know, Mike Lombardi said a phrase recently that I liked. He says, you can't scheme this guy off the field. And on usually the off, oh, not usually the offense is going to dictate. So we're talking defense about scheming a guy off the field. But the opposite of a guy who is able to be in no matter if you run or pass is the idea if this guy being on the field is a sign if you're going to run or pass. It's a horrible thing. Exactly. That's why guys. Exactly, he said. The guys like Kamara for New Orleans are so valuable because you don't know what's coming when he's in the backfield. And usually the catch 22 is that those guys and Kamara, I don't know if he, I think he kind of falls into the, this bad category. Is if he does run the ball, it's going to be less, effect, or at least it's going to be outside, or it's going to be less effective. I mean, if all if there was no forward pass, would Kamara even be a starter in this league? He'd be marginal, yeah. Right. So he he's not one dimensional as much as I think he's probably a better runner than Henry is a pass catcher. But we're talking a spectrum here, right? And it strikes me that. The ability just literally to be lined up in one back and then motion, and Le'Veon Bell used to do this, motion out, and that guy can be a slot receiver. And now who's covering him? That is so powerful. Creates a nightmare for the defense. No question about it. And, you know, there's a reason. You look at Carolina, who quarterbacked for them last year. Cam. Um, Ky- wow. Yeah, Cam for a game and a half. Right? Kyle Allen. Flipper. Flipper. And, uh, and Will Greer for a little while. These are not exactly numbers that you should be able to get NFL uh, leading production numbers with that behind center, regardless of what posi- other position you play. Yeah. I mean, the theory is if it caused him to have a ton of usage, it helps the numbers. Um, my sense is, and that's interesting, uh, do you have his yards per carry? In front of you. Yeah, so McCaffrey, the last two years, 4.9. Jeez. And to, wow. put, to put that in perspective, Derrick Henry was five. So Derrick Henry, a tenth of a yard more on every carry. And Nick Chubb of Cleveland was 5.1. So of these seven backs, McCaffrey. Over two years. Over two years. Over two years. So they're all about five, basically. Throw so, a blanket over them. So right now, how many, you got what, seven? How many guys do you have on your like list of best backs right now. I, I, oh, I got my top seven that I summarized all their data on. Okay, so just if you can, because I've never heard this because I've never seen the list, is can you read to me one to seven who how you rank the backs entering this season? Oh, gosh. Let me... Oh, have you, you haven't done that? I've done it. It's on a different list, but that's fine. So McCaffrey is one. Zeke Elliott's two. Zeke Elliott's two. Yes. Wow. He seemed to really drop last year. Yep. Uh, Dalvin Cook, three. He says, yep, and keeps going. Elliott, so, Elliott actually, yeah, last year wasn't as good as the year before. His two-year average is really good. Last year, his reception yards went down. He only had 420 reception yards, 1,357 rushing yards. Yeah, but you realize this list isn't about copying stuff from the internet and then reading it. Right, so I mean, how good? I mean, I want you to defend that you think Zeke is the second best back. Oh well, if you look at his two-year numbers, I know you're talking about the two-year numbers. Well, That's not the question. Well, he's the number two back in the league. In what? By what metric? Total production. Well, there's no such metric as total production. Uh, yardage, rushing, and receiving. 
Okay, so what about the usage? I mean, this is old school. We're just doing counting stats. Well, but his his over- there's a well. Are we doing counting stats or not? Those are counting stats, and it's true that his averages are a little bit below what these other running backs are. So he's the worst of them. Take a look. Yes, continue to read those two columns. <laughs> he's a little bit better running the ball per carry than Dalvin Cook, and he's a little. So bit- he's sixth out of seven. Rush yards attempted. Yes, and he's, per attempt. and he's sixth out of seven reception oh, yards. Oh, well, then he's got to be the second best. Dude. Well, that's why Kamara, McCaffrey is a, a slam dunk number one. That wasn't the question. Mm-hmm. When you said McCaffrey was number one, did I question you? No. What am I questioning now? Why is, is Zeke number two when he's sixth of seven? I tell you this. I've categories. warned you don't, be, don't try to obfuscate like that. Mm-hmm. Because it really will cause me to go. This isn't me debating. This is me doing it while I'm twilling my thumbs. If I want to debate, I'm going to get hardcore. Don't do it. Just answer. Just be. All we want is the truth here, right? I don't want to be. I don't want to get angry. The audience doesn't want to hear. They want the truth, though, right? So I, I. I, you can say you know something. I don't. Looking at it, I'm changing my mind. Or you can say. You know I got a feeling, and we're all laugh at you, but you got, you can't just avoid the question. I don't understand Zeke being second on your list. It's so, be- so I know it's not particularly defensible, so tell me what you were thinking at least. Well, the, all of these backs, other than McCaffrey, have holes. So Dalvin Cook did not have a good year last year. He missed some games. He was only uh, four and a half yards per carry. He's third on my list because of his pass-catching abilities. Derrick Henry's fourth. He doesn't catch passes. Uh, Barkley is fifth, Saquon, and he stopped catching passes the second half of the year. Well, he was injured in theory. Yeah, but he came back and he, and he was running. But, the, yeah, for whatever reason, maybe they thought that it was more dangerous to be thrown to him, more dangerous to his health. Uh, Nick Chubb is sixth, and I, I, it's hard for me to put Nick Chubb higher than that. Well, see, that's the – see. It's funny because it's whenever things don't make sense, it's, it usually comes down to defining them. I think that if we're measuring production, maybe you're right. He's right up there. And I get the whole counting stats thing, but there is a virtue in being able to carry that ball. You know, whatever number, how many carries did he have last year? Zeke is, you know, that, that, those last 30 carries that he had that other guys don't have value, meaning that having a workhorse back has advantages. Now, if you lose efficiency with use, it only makes sense. So I'm not saying it's just about efficiency. And, but if you were saying production, I think Zeke's an argument for second. I'm not sure if it's right. But if we're saying predicting moving forward, I think that you could say, do we think Cook, when you said Cook getting hurt somehow knocked him down, that says you're talking production. But if we're talking how good they are coming in the season, wouldn't getting hurt be an opportunity for him to be undervalued? And unless he's truly injury prone, why would we give him any negative for being hurt last year moving forward? Yeah, and he wasn't hurt very much. So you're right. When I look at these numbers, you could certainly make a case that Dalvin Cook. Uh, you could make a case Zeke's seventh on that list Yeah, moving forward. Because he seems like he's hitting the age where he's trending down. Well, Zeke's 24, so I think, yeah. I think Derrick Henry at 26 is the guy I think is really going to trend down. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Henry, if you told me who's going to hit a wall by 29, like that there's no chance he's running the ball at 30 or low chance, I'd put Henry on that list. 
it just seems like that you don't lose. You lose it all. There's a big drop at once, but, man, he was so – I mean, he might have been the best back. We, if we just looked at the running side, he's been the best back since Adrian Peterson, right? Yes. His- When's the last time there's been a playoff team where the question was, would this guy just run over them? I can't remember it, and, and absolutely, he took over in the playoffs. And, and I think it's fair to say to be apprehensive, to be cautious about his age is, is, is so important. Though my sense is, Mackenzie, look it up. How was his carry count the first couple years? I know he got better as the year went on every year because of his phys- physicality, Henry, but I don't think he was carrying the ball all that much. Yeah, you're right, RJ. I've got it here. He was uh, three years ago, 176. Two years ago, 215. Last year, 303. But he- oh, three. <laughs> so this was the old rule of 270, right? It, it, the old it, fantasy rule. It, it's a rule of 370. Oh, it's 370. Okay. Yeah, good memory. So, well, not really. But, 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 but get this. It's amazing that you picked up on this because Derrick Henry, 303 is his regular season running uh, stats. He ran the ball 83 times Ooh. in the postseason. Let me add those up. Yes, indeed. <laughs> three. <laughs> He's stealing my jokes now. I'm, I'm, okay. That's totally stolen, although I didn't have the calculator. <laughs> but, it, but it was so apropos. So 386, and you are, this is tremendous memory. I'm impressed. 370, there, there was like in the middle, like 2015, I think it's Schwartz came out with this theory. Well, no, the theory was out for a long time, and then what ended up happening was no one ever went past the number for so long people quit talking about it. Hey, Exactly. So the rule of 370, in essence, is that if you go over 370 in terms of rush attempts, that's the death number. And I believe what it is, there are like 29 running backs that went over that. And of those 29, only four of them were able to carry for 1,500 or comparable amounts. And the year before, all of them were carrying for like close to 1,500. So, and I believe 72% of them, 72% missed at least one game. All right, so Mackenzie's looking this up. We'll have the exact numbers in a second. So, Fez, the, the basic theory here is if you carry the ball too much, and the 370 was arbitrary, that's carries, uh, but that's the number when they rev- when they went back and backfitted it, they saw that the drop-off was, right? So it's kind of backfit, no doubt, as they say in trends or whatever. But it's just generally, if you carry the ball a ton, it, it, it stays with you. You don't get over it, really, ever. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's not just your production the next year is bad, but it really impacts the rest it of your career. It starts the downfall, yeah. Yes. And then think about if all you did was have a list of who was the consensus number one pick to be fantasy for running backs, and running backs are almost always the number one overall in fantasy – it is like within 24 months, they were almost out of the league. I, I can't think of one. You know, there might have been that. I mean, think about uh, LaDainian Thomas and how quickly he dropped. It's just the whole thing about being number one on that fantasy is you're getting used a lot, right? And getting used can hurt. And I think Tomlinson actually held up. Uh, he wasn't as good, but he held up better than average, if I recall. So we got the actual numbers, McKenzie? Yes, so there was 28 uh, individuals that ran for 370 when this curse originally was coined. They averaged three. Well, no, point- it wasn't. It wasn't from when it was coined. It was looking at the time backwards. Correct. Yes. Okay. They averaged 3.3 games missed, and their average fantasy re- results 
uh, went 20% down the following year. And yes, Fez, LaDainian Tomlinson was the only one in 2003 to match his fantasy points from the previous season. Wow. See, that'd be interesting. You know what would be analysis that put this on, I mean, seriously, high on the list? Because we got the Derrick Henry stuff, and we'll have it next week here, is write this down clearly, is how did those exact same backs, just them, do the second year and the third year after? And we won't have the fantasy points, but what we can do is reverse engineer the yardage. You know, we'll come up with, I think the numbers, the only really number that matters, I think, we can say total, I think if we have total yards and yards per carry, there's no way that one of them can be, meaning if a guy had like 1,300 yards, but he had 3.8 yards a carry, that's not good, right? And if someone had 4.4 yards per carry, but only had 400 yards, that's not good. So we'll find out the sore thumbs with just those two numbers. So I, I, if you guys agree. So I think let's get yeah. the numbers for the year that was the year before, the 370 year. Get the numbers for the next year. And then the next two, yardage, yards per attempt. So there's like, what, 120 data points there. I bet that second year after is a nightmare. Yeah, because I think any running back that's at the top of the fantasy board will be much lower than that two years later, regardless of the amount of carries. You add this filter in, yeah. I think you're right. And you show just in general the drop-off of these guys, and it, it, it comes back around. I think it's unfair, you know, quite frankly, that these running backs have – I think there should be some exception that there's no 50-year tag for them. You should not – that every year they – designate is this guy a running back and the league makes the decision because you can say he's a split you know he's a tail you know not tailback but he's fl- flanker yeah whatever and old school flanker <laughs> he runs a single wing and the thing <laughs> is that the uh, the league decides just like they do for any they decide anyway to see what the tag price is right and if you are a running back you can't be tagged and that will affect the draft Meaning they might not want to draft a running back in the first round because they're not getting the fifth year. That's fine, but there's got to, and maybe that's not the answer. Because but there's got to be a way these, or maybe the tag is a two-year tag. You want to tag him, tag him for two years. I like that. Yeah, or something. I don't know, but it, it, this idea that they're at that point after four, and, and with a, a non-first-round back, it's. But when's the last time a non-first-round back's been? I guess Le'Veon Bell wasn't first round, but the to me the idea that you carry him more like a like a rental car, more carries, because who cares? We're not going to sign him, you know. We're tag him and that's it. Twenty six, who cares? If you're one of the best running backs in football, you should have generational wealth. You should. And as much as I'm not a players guy, when it comes to the battles that go on today. This feels more old school. He's, is should you know if Zeke Elliott wouldn't have got franchise or wouldn't have gotten his new deal and gone one more year under the tag, which is a nice number, and then that's it. I don't think he would have been paid fairly. So you're setting up a system where these backs are forced almost to sit out, and and now we're all getting dis disenfran or not disenfranchised. We're getting disenchanted. With the sports leagues, because it seems like these players are so uh, oftentimes not team-oriented, mercenary, maybe even greedy, some would say. But I don't think the leagues have to have these running backs. Of all the holdouts in the last five years, it seems like half of them are running backs. 
That's right. When you asked me to look up which running backs are uh, considering the holdout, like two or three different ones came up. Who came up? Uh, Joe Mixon of the Bengals. Yeah, that's who I heard. And Aaron Jones of the Packers were the big two. Hmm. And I, let me guess, they're both entering their fourth year. Exactly right. See, that's the thing. They know if they play one more year and they get tagged, they might get thrown out. And it's not that the tag year is a good number, but still, it's not enough. And he thought, I know this isn't your money, Fess, so you're not as worried. Well, and the teams, when they franchise the, the running back, they can just run him into the ground. Like exactly. you said, the, like the rental said. car. I love that that idea of like, hey, someone else's problem after this year. Let's go ahead and get everything out of him, like, like Boxer in the, in the, in the um, what's that book, Animal Farm. Make him build the windmill. So just to be clear, when I said that what the teams could do is treat them people like a rental car and abuse them because it doesn't have any financial consequence for the owner of the team because you're going to discard them anyway. You said, I love that. I think I did say that. (laughs) All right. (laughs) At least we got that straight. That's Steve Fezzik. I'm RJ Bell. Any closing thoughts on the running back? I mean, I guess maybe next week we'll keep debating. Why don't you do this? Why don't you put a pencil to paper, as they say, and think through, and let's re-rank those backs – with an eye towards how valuable are they for next year. Love it. So McCaffrey's going to be one, but it is very open who's going to be number two. I'm yes. guessing it's not Zeke. Closing thoughts. I think you got all of mine. All right. And some of mine, repeat it. <laughs> <laughs> we should just tape Fez going, great point. RJ, you're smart. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay, let's extend the NFL talk. A lot of debate now about the fans and the idea that, you know, which leagues would play without fans. College now saying so much, you know, it seems some people uh, amongst the decision makers in college saying no without fans. I wonder how much they get paid with the games and without the games. Huh? I think it's the same, isn't it? That's curious. Um, I, I always like when there's an economic motivation, right? NBA, they're not getting paid. They're motivated. Apparently, we found out from one of the news guys at FSR, Fox Sports Radio, that the British Open feds, why did they cancel so soon? Big insurance policy. Oh, curious. All right. What do you think? And let's not go too deep into this, but what NFL teams do you think would benefit? Because in a way, I had never thought of this, actually. This is fascinating. In a way, if you're betting the NFL right now, season win, whatever, right? You're making a bet effectively on will there be fans or not, because if there's not fans, you'd have to handicap for that. So let's say that you love a team if there's no fans for some reason. You're going to explain which teams you like in this spot. But it would cause you to be, if you believers, I believe there's a, you know, 80 plus percent chance, and I'm no expert. I just look at facts and try to make leaps. I believe there's an 80-plus percent chance that some games will be played early, if not all games. I think all games early will be without fans. My gut feeling is it won't be the whole year. But still, that's a a, a consideration here, Faz. Which team do you think would have advantages and which team disadvantages? Well, I look at the crowd noise as a percentage of what the home field advantage is, and I think about, well, which stadiums – 
don't get much crowd noise and which stadiums don't get much support and their opponents get support. And I landed on five teams, RJ. These teams, uh, they, they get minimal support from their home crowd noise. Obviously, the L.A. Chargers. Mm-hmm. We've spoken about it a lot. That's the obvious one. But I also listed Jacksonville and Miami. For whatever reason in Florida, those um, there's a lot of people that have- but, but hold on a second. Mm-hmm. Miami has a significant home field, but you're saying – that the, they keep the home field, they keep the advantage of the hot weather early in the year and all that because they have a good record. But you're saying that the fact that there's a negative in a way almost at home, or at least not a negative, but they're less, they have less of a positive than other teams do. And thus you take away that deficient area, it helps them. Exactly. It doesn't my- mean you want to bet against them necessarily. If anything, you're more inclined to bet them at home. Yeah, because when Miami plays Pittsburgh, for instance, yeah. in a typical game, maybe there'll be a quarter, 30% of the crowd's going to be Steeler fans, all right? Miami's not going to get the normal crowd noise advantage that they would get. And so because of that, the heat and humidity is nice. That's an edge. edge. But the excessive crowd noise is not nearly as good as, say, a game in Minnesota or but, New but, Orleans. But, but, what we're, we're, you're making a great point. It's not, And you're making it well. I just think it's hard to wrap our head around. So let me walk through it one more time. What we're saying is actually that if there is no crowds, you're more inclined to bet Miami at home. Because the theory is they're going to adjust the market and take away a chunk of home field advantage for every team. right? So my guess is, what I'm guessing the typical home team will be minus one and a half. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Exactly. Have the three-point traditional home field advantage. And you're coming off a three, though, so you're taking away more than half. Yes. Okay. I'm not sure that's justified now that I think about it. In that case, I'm going to be prone to bet home teams Hmm. if they do go to one. I I would put my number at two, probably. Now, I know that everyone's debating now in the industry is – or amongst the batters is that should we be looking at home field less than three in general as a default? So that – makes it where I'm not anxious to, you know, I'm not saying two and a half, I'm saying it's two. But really, you think about the home field advantage, you know, how much is the crowd noise? I think it's less, about a third at most is my guess. Okay, but now what we're saying is if everyone gets adjusted the same for that, Miami's having something taken away, their crowd support, that actually is less valuable than other people's. Thus, they're, if they're priced the same, you're more inclined to bet Miami. They're yeah, hurt. They're hurt less. Exactly right. Because if there's a across the board adjustment, hey, the odds makers say, look, we got we got lower home field by one point for every team. That um, adjustment on every team will be inaccurate because Miami, that crowd noise uh, part of the equation, wasn't worth a point. Chargers hurt less than others. Jacksonville hurt less than other teams. Miami. Now Tampa would have been on your list. But not with Brady. Exactly. With Brady, there's so much excitement now um, that uh, t- I, I anticipate Tampa, when the crowds come back, to have a good home field advantage. And the ones hurt more, obviously, the better home fields. You want to run those off? Yeah. So Seattle, Minnesota, and New Orleans. Those are my top three. Now, that I got to tell you most. something. This is savvy, wise guy stuff here. Because if you're not quite as wise as Fez, and you're not probably, statistically, Likely you're not. You're thinking, where's Green Bay? And Fez is going to tell you. I won't even step on it. It's so smart. Go ahead, Fez. Uh, 
You're right. Green Bay is not on my list because the reason Green Bay, which has Green Bay, has a four-point home field advantage, and it's not because of the crazy noise in that open stadium in Green Bay. It's because Green Bay has this funky grass that they play on that I can only describe as like being slippery. It's yep, yep. really hard to rush the quarterback to get at Rodgers because of that grass, which is unique. I don't, I, I don't know. I'm not a um, horticulturist, well, <laughs> but something about the grass in, in Wisconsin, RJ, it's slippery than the rest of the world. I'm not sure about all that. I just know that Lambeau is slippery. Are you, do you have any idea if you're walking on people's lawn that you have more of a chance to slip in, in Wisconsin? <laughs> Well, I don't even walk on my own lawn, so no, I don't. So why bring that up? I've, I've just heard that it's— that The people's lawns are slick in Wisconsin. No, the Lambo is slick, for what, and so I don't it has know nothing why. To do, but do you think that they only have local grass available there, and that somehow it's the local seedlings that's causing it? They could well import it. I don't know what's going could on. Could well import it. <laughs> I wonder if you search on the internet, slippery grass Wisconsin, if anything comes back. <laughs> It's so funny. It's almost like whenever you get a compliment, you decide to keep pushing it until you do something good. You know, you've talked to me, like, <laughs> like I shouldn't even say this, but like when, R- when RJ and I talk about like annually, what are we going to improve upon? That annually, is, that annually, is always mean, on the list. Every show. <laughs> hey, listen, I'm trying to improve too. I mean, that's the whole thing. If anything, that's what, you know, you think about who has a good job, who does it. Obviously, if you're making a ton of money but if you got a job that you can keep improving at and, and your boss or organization cares, to me, that puts you in a nice category there, right? And, you know, I'm grateful for that opportunity. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for it. I, I am, mean, again, when you're born with a silver spoon, you take these things lightly. No, I think I'm more grateful, actually. Oh, you're crazy. You're more grateful. You'd be surprised. <laughs> no. You're, you know, so then I'm gonna. The fact that you're saying that makes me happy. I mean, it's it's goofy that you that that uh, you're the way. I mean, like half the time I'm having to say, Fez, we're 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 trying to drill down to this because we want to really get the right answer. You know, like present the right way to the. Because ultimately, we talk about this all the time. There's a lot of people that got good information. There is. I mean, it's not that many. It, uh, seems like it's not most people have shows, but there's hundreds of people that's got good information. The question is, do they have the will to share it? A lot of people don't. And do they have the ability to share it in a compelling way? Any of those couple hundred, I could get on the podcast and make super entertaining. That's one of my talents. Or more entertaining than usual might be the way to say it. Thus, we're constantly trying to find ways to make it more entertaining. I'll give you an example. We're debating oftentimes how many asides I should have because we know they go off sometimes. We know a lot of people love them. We know some people think they're superfluous. And where's how? what's the right amount? Is there a format that we throw at the end of the show, right? Uh, do we have it edited and releases its own pod later? All kind of options, but we're always thinking about it. And the fact is that you enjoy that fact hasn't been evident makes me happy huh. are we talking about the same thing <laughs> or are you talking about that you get to work hardly at all and you get paid a lot that's what you like uh that's 
not the way I would quantify it. But <laughs> I, I get I get to work a job and I'm I'm well paid you, something and, that and, I am passionate and you really for and have I no, love. No actual responsibility. And I don't have to like compute actuarial tables. And you don't like actually have to be and, you have to be at one place three times a week for like an hour. And I only have to be right fifty five percent of the time. Exactly. If that. I mean, that's the goal. <laughs> All right. I find it fascinating because I think Green Bay has such a rep for I don't think the market's just going to – if the odds makers do, the betters would – I think they're going to adjust more for the good teams than less for the bad teams. So I think that Green Bay might be a play on because they might get adjusted more than they should be. Yes. Because this is going to be like so obvious. It's like, oh, this is going to really hurt the home field advantage. And so you're going to see the teams getting significant adjustments that everyone knows have really big home field advantages. So I think Seattle probably will be adjusted properly, New Orleans properly, Minnesota properly. I think Green Bay will be over-adjusted, and thus they're a play-on team. Yes. Chargers play-on, Jacksonville play-on, Miami play-on. Yes. This was good. One more, RJ? Who who helped you with this? This one I did myself. McKin- this is no, I'm serious. This is good. Go ahead. Washington Redskins. In recent Ooh, years. Oh, I like that. I like you know, that. Daniel Snyder's a hated man there, the owner. Yes. I have seen the Eagle fans take over that stadium when I'm watching on TV. Oh, I yeah, would, a lot of Pittsburgh on Monday night a few years ago. Yeah. I think more than fifty percent are anti Redskin fans. So the best thing that could possibly happen for the Redskins is to not have any fans in any of their games because they're not benefiting from it at all in their home games, especially when they play anyone in the same geographical vicinity. This is going to be like of all the topics we've had on any show, this is taught 10 percent in the last month. Good. More of this. And, and, and what I'm saying is brainstorm. Hit me. With, if you give me five ideas and four suck and one's this good, it's worth it. As long as you don't tell me the whole story, you have to write it. Then that would be. If you had to tell me some long story on everyone, it might not be worth it. That's Mackenzie's role to like take all this and and do the executive well, summary, right? Well, apparently you <laughs> you've made that the case. How much do you pay Mackenzie? It's. Um, I remember we were at uh, what was it, Johnny Rockets, and you picked up the check. That was uh, nice uh, of you, Mike. Appreciate that. Come on. I mean, Mackenzie. All joking aside, people probably think that we're spoofing Faz. He's probably worse than we make him out to be. <laughs> right or wrong. We put him in a good light, net, net, no doubt. <laughs> That's hilarious <laughs> that we could edit, edit up like the last year of shows and have like 10 minutes of me just screaming at him. And it'd be like, and he's treated better than he deserves. Steve, <laughs> see, Matt, we got to make sure we're taping nonstop. Nonstop. <laughs> this is good, though, Faz. Um, and I think it's important to realize it's not just the absence of the crowd, but rather the teams that have that disadvantage it's psychological. How would you like to go out in front of your crowd and have them booing or whatever? You know, so removing that is actually removing another negative. Yeah, great point because you're you're playing for the Chargers and you go out and you're getting booed and you're just like, who needs this? Why? I got to talk to my agent, right? I mean, it's depressing compared to New Orleans where it's just like everyone is for the same. Well, it's even even if it's neutral, it's more depressing when it's the negative, right? Right. So, okay. Next topic. Let's go into our. I've got some stuff on Dak, but I'm going to wait for that because I want to get to the picks here. And you actually. Oh, look. All right. I'm looking at the notes. Finally, you did have that Henry, so we we could have rolled it in. But so you are looking to bet it, yeah. So uh, uh, so we made the three seventy case beyond that. 
Yeah, so that really is it. If, if we expect Derrick Henry to have the normal 20% fall off in production that backs have had historically that go over 370 carries, suddenly Derrick Henry is going to go from 1,540 rush yards. He's going to lose about 300 yards off of that. That would put him at 1,240, and that would put him at well under the 1,470 rush yards that's being put up at FanDuel on Derrick Henry. Now, there's another way to look at this, which was um, – there's an over-under for him, and you looked at those. Did, am I correct that you looked at all of the running backs that fell into the 370 deal and saw how many of them went over 1470? Yeah, and it was actually four, only I think, right? four. Right, four um, went over and the rest went under. Also, RJ. Is that the way that works? Yes. All right. <laughs> I just to be zero sum game. No pushes. We also, I had, <laughs> I had McKenzie do this research. So he went back the past six years. Guess how many running backs rushed for over 1,470 yards the last six years? Oh, this is interesting. I'm going to say four. <laughs> Five. Oh, okay. okay. So, so think about this. It's almost like if you asked me to set the over-under. It's really, is he going to be the best running back? Exactly. You're basically betting, is he going to be the best running back next year? Uh, pick him. It's, it's almost an equivalent bet. I like it. So under 1,470 and a half. Henry, where's that available now? That's at FanDuel in New Jersey. And, I mean, have you seen this anywhere else? I have not. I'm guessing it's out there because I've seen a lot of player props. So, it's a bonus best bet. Yes. Now, I'm going to throw an idea out that makes that even a better bet. I think that one of two things is going to happen. Henry's going to get an understanding with them not to run him into the ground. That's the only way he comes in. Or at some point in the season, he either fakes an injury or he holds out in the middle of the season. He's not going to let them run him that much when he's waiting for another contract. He could have said, sign me if you want to run me. You know, marry me if you want that. <laughs> and if his agent's doing a good job, he, his agent and all, everyone in the inner circle is going to advise him to do that. Whoever advises him... It's if think of the opposite. Think of me being wrong. It means he's gonna come in. Yes, sir. How many carries? Second year. Fine. Give it to me. I don't care about that next. Call. I mean, think about it. Now, there might be people grumbling about it, but they won't do anything like to make a demand, an ultimatum. I think in this day and age, you know, that's where his support system probably does come in. I, I. I if I had to make a bet, how much would you bet that he has less than 300? Well, first, let's say, so how many did he have in the regular season? 310 or so, you said? Yes. Oh, okay. So I would make the monster bet of monster bets he has less than 310 this season, in the regular season. Which makes your bet, it's not only will he be efficient, it's question is, is he going to be used this much? What I, do you think? I, I agree. It was actually 303. And I would make a monster bet he's going to have under 300 carries. So if, if somehow, some way he only has 260 carries, it's almost impossible for him to get this number. Exactly, because he averaged five yards per carry, and he was the second best of these big seven running backs. And I don't well, know. No, no, no. Zeke was. Uh, Zeke was that? No, no. You said he was second. Zeke was second best in total production, rush uh, yards. No, no, plus no, no, no. Total production. Yards. You said this was the list of the upcoming season. Let's not change it now. 
Yes. Go ahead. Zeke was my number two back. So, yes. So, <laughs> so Henry's not going to get – he's not suddenly going to rush for m- more than five yards per carry. That is the ultimate ceiling in my eyes. I like that best bet. I do. Okay, let's talk draft. Now, the hitman has a pick on the draft. You know, let's do this first. Diamond Dave Esler. Why would you call a guy who's also got the nickname Uncle Dave? He looks like an accountant and not Ben Affleck. Because he wins. Diamond freaking Dave. He, he he's, No one's getting over on him. Let's just say that much. I've tried. I'm serious. I can't. Dave Esler. You can follow him on Twitter. You can maybe check it out when you're listening. It's Dave underscore Esler. E-S-S-L-E-R. He's got a pick on an over-under for this season, and I like it. Fez is going to hate it. Here it comes. I like and bet the Colts over eight and a half wins. And no, this isn't a knee-jerk reaction to Rivers. It's what else they've done. I think Roosevelt Nick's signing is overlooked. In three years with Pittsburgh, the Steelers were no worse than eighth in sacks allowed. It's going to help Mack, who missed two games and still ran for 1,100 yards last season. I like the Buckner deal, at least short term. They wouldn't have drafted anyone with that pick that's going to have the immediate impact. He will. I think Rhodes is a cheap upgrade to the defense, and in a one-year deal, it ought to have him playing for his next contract. And, oh, yes, Rivers is an upgrade. They were a seven-win team last year with a passing game that was 29th in completion percentage, 26th in yards per pass. Rivers is an upgrade. They were a seven-win team who lost three games by a field goal or less, and T.Y. missed six games. On the plus side last year, they had more takeaways than turnovers and were the least penalized team in the league. A look at their schedule. They get the Packers, Vikings, and the Ravens all at home. Titans play all three of those on the road. So I like and also bet the Colts plus 150 to win the division in addition to over eight and a half wins. Diamond Dave, baby, going contrarian. He looks at the Vegas guys and he scoffs. Ha, ha, ha. Fez, you're a Vegas guy. What do you think? Yeah, I think that the Colts are getting too much of a bump up for signing Rivers, and I frankly don't have Rivers being any better than Jacoby Brissett in my quarterback rankings. I mean, remember rankings. now, Brissett's had a, 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 an interesting history in your rankings, hasn't he? Yes, I had Brissett rated higher than Brady at one point, and he has fallen in fallen. recent— As if there's some external events that's happened in the interim. <laughs> It's almost like I'm, I'm so used to seeing these mock drafts that somehow I feel I can do like mock quarterback you, 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 ratings no, no, before no, I... No, no, no. I want you to, actually. I want you to change mm-hmm. every day you can. But you got to take the heat when you change somebody. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm Brissett. I, I, I looked at Indy, and they did have some close losses. And I was like, was it really his fault? And But bottom line is he did not perform up to expectations last year. Now, people think he was hurt for the whole, I think, at minimum, second half of the year. That would explain... A lot of things that happened with the and remember the Colts were five and two and people were talking about some people bet the Colts when Luck was supposed to play that that day in the summer. Remember when he got hurt and we were mm-hmm. all scrambling to bet Colts under nine and a half and we almost we were worried we we're going to lose for a while when they started so well. Remember he didn't get hurt. He got hurt months before and then he finally said it hurts too much. Yes. It's Saturday night. I was at the sushi all you can eat sushi place by the way. Mm. On Flamingo and Sandhill. Right by the In-N-Out Burger. I was at the Gallery of Mall. And Steve, my... no one needs it. Oh, right. go ahead. I'm joking. <laughs> well, like no J- one cares. We're... Jared and the Hitman like are blowing up my phone. I'm like, why are these idiots calling me? The 
like four, five, six times in a row. So finally, I mean, you could have been at the resort. The resort. Yeah, in Monterey. <laughs> Monterey. <laughs> Fair enough. Go ahead. Oh, that was the story? That where you were? Yeah. When, when the hitman and calls, pick up the phone, Fez. That's the, the bottom line. But that was the story. Yeah. It was like, you said, do you remember that night? And thus you were asking me about it. And I said, yeah, I was at the sushi place. And... Your response was to start, did you ask me because you wanted to tell where you were? It looks that way, yes. <laughs> That's funny. It looks that way. That's funny. Uh, guilty, guilty. You gotta, no, put that in the book. Like, do more of that. That's funny. It looks that way. I love that. That's a catchphrase. That could be on shirts. If you became, I was watching like a, I was watching a vintage broadcast of Happy Days in 1976. Because I've just got, because I thought about whose drops don't I have? And if there's anyone that had five seconds of, uh, what would you call it? Five second sayings that took over the world. It was the Fonz, right? Matt? Yes. I mean, you are the Hollywood guy here, right? Uh, Absolutely. And I grew up on uh, Happy Day syndication. Exactly. So, and again, that would have been, I mean, you're like five years younger than me. So you were watching that, like you were like in the late 80s, you're saying. Yes. Okay. Yeah, happy day. I mean, ha- the Fonz was the biggest guy in the world. And he was like 5'5", five, five, but he was the biggest guy in the world. And it dawned on me, I can't do A. E. Yeah, it's not, it's not going to work. Mackenzie just did it. I heard it. He was into <laughs> it, too. He did it pretty well, actually. It sounded all right. <laughs> and I almost want to ask Faz to do it, but I don't. So It would go uh, with the uh, pompadour, you think? Oh, my gosh. Were you a fan of I mean, you weren't too old for this show, were you, Faz? Oh, no. It was my prime time. <laughs> so how much did you like the fun? Oh, sit on it and all those expressions. And- <laughs> now, now, you did it. Now, let me ask you a serious question, though. Did you hate him because he was the type that was picking on you at school? No, well, I, no, because I love the fact he was helping Richie, and Richie was getting picked oh, on in so school. That's and I it. So, oh my God, I never even thought of that. So he taught you related to Richie. Yeah, so the taught, Fonz was your friend. Yeah. So Fonz taught Richie how to fight, and Richie says, "It's like me, you know." And 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 Richie says, "Oh, you think I can?" I can? Fonzie's like, "Just start hitting him when he's taking off his jacket. His hands will be behind his back." And Richie says, "Oh, that's great advice. So I'll win the fight, right, Fonz?" And then he says, "No, you're going to get killed, but you get in a couple good shots first. You know what's funny? This is the most synchronicity, freaky thing ever, ever, because listen to this. You got no reputation for toughness. Once in your life, you had to have hit somebody. That was from that exact scene, Fez. And I only have like three drops. So, and that was for you. Sometime when you start acting tough. Yeah, the... <laughs> I just got into so many street fights like Richie Cunningham, pretty comparable. No, so what he ended up doing was he started acting nuts, and the guy just said, I, I'm not dealing with it. He started, like, slamming tables, but he wasn't hitting anyone. You know what was sad is when the Fonz had to hang out with the Richie, fake Richie that came later. That was the cousin that showed up, like Oliver. Oh, Oliver. <laughs> oh, I bet Why you wasn't were. He? Wait. Wasn't Oliver on Brady Bunch? Yeah, that's why I said like Oliver. Ah, yeah. Like, not Oliver. But then, remember, there's the old famous, there was Chuck, Chuck Cunningham. 
And the, he was on like three episodes. Then he disappeared. The forgotten older brother. Yeah. yeah. He played basketball all the time. I tell you this, the the um uh Richie Cunningham, obviously the you know, Ron Howard, the director, um, and who was on, you know, think about this guy by the time he was twenty two, and it's almost incomprehensible that he was on you know, he was a kid on the Andy Griffith 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 Griffin Griffith show. And my mom used to love that show. And she still watches, like, if she gets the, you know, if the, the, the things in the world are tough, like they are, she'll say, I'm going to throw on some Andy Grit, you know, so like go back to the old times and, like, immerse herself in, which is kind of cool, actually. Like, if you can take yourself to the simpler times. Um, she, like, Leave It a Beaver, too, which was the same era. But that show, Andy Griffith was so big, it was, you know, humongous, as big as Happy Days in its day. And then a couple years later, he's on Happy Days. So by the time he left Happy Days, he was on Happy Days like seven years. He had been on like like 12 years of TV at a time when people only had three stations. Hmm. Imagine how many people – there was no one in the United States that probably didn't know Ron Howard at that point. And then he says, I'm not going to be an actor. I'm going to be a director. He hardly acted in anything after that. That guy's a smart, he's one of those dudes that's sneaky smart. Because for whatever reason, he figured he wasn't going to be a movie star. Did he want to do another series? No. And I'm going to direct. I give a credit. What do you think of that, Matt? That's a, talk about a Hollywood wannabe. That is a, 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 a lineup there. I mean, the guy is a, par- a paragon. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, but I don't like. I don't like his movies that much, to be honest with you. They're they're uh, very poppy. Yes, he he. But in a way, it shows his intelligence again. He he approaches it because he's had tons of success. Yeah. Right, but a beautiful mind was about as edgy as he got, and I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, he's in that Steven Spielberg, uh, Clint Eastwood. Whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa. Whoa! <laughs> cast of character, cast no, of directors. What? Spielberg. The Who, case could be made that Spiel, that that from Schindler. Or no, the case could be made. In fact, if I had the list of directors since 1975, which is coincidentally, well, let's say 70. So Coppola is still in there. Yeah. Okay. Now Coppola is the weirdest thing. He's Gale Sayers. Yeah. <laughs> Because Godfather 1, some people believe is the greatest movie of all time. Godfather 2, some people believe is the greatest movie of all time. Apocalypse Now, some people believe is the greatest movie of all time. And The Conversation is considered one of the most underrated movies of all time. He did all of those between 72 and 78, 79. Apocalypse Now went a long time. Okay. After that, his best movie is what? I mean, he did the stuff with the Mickey Rourke and the, you know, the S.E. Hinton things, like The Outsiders was pretty decent, but nothing that would be on any major list. Would you agree with that? I uh, agreed. The outside, well, Outsiders is not really up there, but. Yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah. Right? It's not, you know, but. I love his wine. Maybe. The- ah, <laughs> well, you, he lives up in where you used to live, right? Uh, yeah, Napa. Napa, Napa yeah. yeah, we're up there with the rich kids. Yeah, that's where. <laughs> exactly. I was in a I, I was in the coal mines near West Virginia. Was where I came from. I know, no wonder I I'm the fucking the predator here, right? You guys <laughs> are so soft. Okay, so to me, the only real conversation of the greatest directors since 1970 in America. I'm, I don't know the French directors as well. 
it, or any, you know, any non-American movie, is I watch a lot of foreign movies. I just don't feel like I'm ready to talk about them in a, any expert way. It's Scorsese and who? Who's even in the conversation? American directors? Yes. Paul Thomas Anderson. <sighs> okay, I'll accept that. Who else? Um, Maybe the other Anderson. Yeah, well, Wes Anderson. Yeah. Not my thing, but... But I, I you I know... It. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and to me, Spiel... I, Paul Thomas Anderson, maybe he just if he did t- two or three more movies as good. First of all, I did not like the Inherent Vice. It's the first movie of his I didn't like. I, I in fact disliked that movie. But I think his other. I think that There Will Be Blood is the best movie of the century, like since two thousand. Yeah, I just rewatched that. It's on a Netflix as of a few weeks ago. It's got a twenty-minute opening with almost no dialogue. No, exactly, and it, and it, it transfixes you, man. It's great. Yeah. And Daniel Day Lewis, come on. Yeah. And it's such a story about America and, and wealth and and really, Fez, you know, it, it's about you. I said you're like you could be. <laughs> what was his name? Uh, what was the dude's character's name? Daniel Day. You remember? Uh, oh God, I don't. I remember. I I loved the beginning of that where. After that 20 minutes, when you finally are happy, people are talking and all the townspeople are fighting amongst themselves. Uh, Daniel Plainview, it just came to me, is um, I, I, I didn't want the energy to actually have to turn and actually look it up. But the <laughs> the um, he he just starts walking out and they're like, well, what do you think about that? He goes, don't want it. And he goes, well, what about he goes, I wouldn't take it if he gave it to me. <laughs> and there's actually a bunch of videos online about the way he came up with the voice he uses and how it was very deliberate and, and to represent the character. But what a movie if you haven't seen it. Yeah, I would make the case Spielberg today without P.T. Anderson having more movies is the second best director since 75 or 70. OK, so, so I wouldn't call him plasticky or poppy. See, I, maybe I'll redefine poppy. What I mean is clearly he's responsible for inventing the blockbuster. Okay, but he but way. but Jaws is a great movie. It is. It's it's a structurally sound sound well. He changed the, the entire industry with that movie. It's more than sound. He did, and 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 he created a monster who you barely see. Which, exactly. Which is not novel. It was uh, derived from. Well, no one from, said that he innovated every part of the movie. He also used the lens on the camera. That's true. Right. Yeah. But I'm saying is what movie? If you said of the movies that's changed movies since 1970, now would make the case of Bonnie and Clyde is the first modern movie, which a lot. I never understood until I read a couple years ago about it. Is these you think about it? That movie with the violence, with the, with the way it was. The Godfather was just a couple years after that. Yeah. But let's call that the modern era. Is what movie has affected movies more than Jaws? That's a great question. No, I, I don't disagree with you, and I'm so not, I'm what not... you're saying though is <laughs> that the movie that affected movies the most of any movie in the last fifty years, you lead with, it's okay. And he didn't invent this. No, no, no. I, well, I see your debate technique now is, is to stop the other person from uh, Well, I want you to address sentence. what oh. you said. No, no, hold on a second. I, boy, he's been saving that up. I want you to address what you said before we go on and lose it in the myths of your memory let, that's faulty. Let, let's go back to the original intention of what I was going to say, which go is ahead. that 
Ron Howard, Clint Eastwood, Steven Spielberg are directors who can take it to the bank with every movie. So they're, I'm actually arguing that they're very good at what they do, which is make great movies but really, that appeal a failed to the art, But a failed artist such as yourself, and you'd have to agree with that, right? Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm just using your own words, is you understand that you have two choices when you look at people that are perpetually successful. One is to say they're just that much better than me. Or number two is to say they're doing something that somehow makes them fraudulent or maybe not fraudulent. It invalidates the artistry of it. I'm, I'm not saying it either uh-huh. one of those things. I'm uh-huh. saying that I don't see the artistry in it. And that's, oh, my could God. Be, that so could you're saying you don't feeling. see the artistry in Steven Spielberg. Uh, I have to see examples. Uh, oh, I don't know. Let's see. Um, 1,400 men go into the water. Four oh days God. later, Save 325 a- come out. Saving Sharks private- took the rest. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about Saving Private Ryan might be, i got to be honest with you, it certainly is the greatest action movie ever. It's, in fact, I don't even think, what is even in that comp? Uh, Terminator? No way. Saving Private Ryan, when Tom Hanks tells the story about the idea of mixing action with that movie, with the way when Hanks tells the story about what he did back home, finally, I mean, wow. Yeah, it has broad commercial appeal. Do you disagree? It, no, those, disagree? those aren't mutually exclusive. You're talking in the, you're talking about the commercial appeal, and I'm saying it may or may not, and it does. But it doesn't mean it doesn't have artistry. The Godfather is one of the most successful movies of all time. The Wizard of Oz is, too. So is Gone with the Wind. Those aren't good movies? No, they're all great movies. But, uh, I, well, Gone with the Wind, I'd have to see again. because I, I, Oh, where you're worried about the progress? Yes. <laughs> Gone, there was slavery during slave times. No, yes, they depicted it. My instinct is that it, it, it wasn't that groundbreaking. But um, This is not about groundbreaking. It's about good. Good and ground. Usually groundbreaking movies aren't that good. See, but good is subjective, right? Well, yes. Yeah, let's go to Tolstoy. What is art? <laughs> yes, I understand. Oh, wow. Sue, I, my respect just went up. Like, it was already <laughs> high for you. But the fact that we, you have referenced Paul land and what is art in the course of the last two or three months of talking um see that's the point right is that to me you're right you can debate it but we as a collective society have agreed on some turn or on some assumptions about what's good and what's not phaedrus need we ask these questions yes i'm quoting plato right now via via Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Oh, wow. Yes. You oh. haven't read that book, have you? Uh, I read the first two chapters. Ah, you, you read it and stopped. I did. Uh, <laughs> it felt like my life with my father, so I didn't. You know something? We got a new podcast, but it's only like 10 minutes at a time, once a month, and it's like first take for movies. Man, I'm gonna have to. Sh- I'm gonna have to sharpen my my studying, my intellectual, and my debate skills. But I mean, but that would be fun because like the, there's no stakes to this, right? So we can have fun with it. We can scream. Yeah, I just used I used to read a lot more, and you know, my daughter's on will be five this year, and uh, it's been five years since I've read anything. Hey, so. you know you won. For all the listeners, you know you won when they start begging off before they even have the competition. RJ, there's one thing I know after working with you. I will not win a debate. But, you know, we can debate it where I do with Fez, where I'm not trying to win. We're just trying to get to the – but then it wouldn't be first take. We'll figure something out. It's okay. As a failed artist, I'm quite accustomed to losing. <laughs> but, yeah, listen, I get it. And last point on it is – there are so many times in life that you've got to say that man, that person is better than me. 
or there's something about it that isn't a fair playing field. And it's so seductive, right, to say it's not. But to me, I'm not saying it never is. I'm not saying there's not racism. There's not other things that hold people back. There's cert- Listen, I've said this before. You know, I was so uh, – the only thing I cared about in college was getting into one law school. I, won't even, I don't even want to mention it. But there's one – because I don't want it to seem like I'm dropping it. But And when I didn't get into that law school, it so upset me that it was probably a year that I was just pissed off. And it's easy to say, well, you know, if I had gone to the Ivy Leagues instead of Ohio State or whatever, and, you know, they have a quota of women, the quota whatever. And to me, we can all debate um, – affirmative action and all that and and that's a, a intense political debate but when i was in the middle of it and there was any w- chance of it not being about merit it, it's hard not to latch on to that and i'm i'm very happy that you know maybe it's kind of sad to say it only took a year but you know it's not something i have any feelings about now other than i kind of realized that the, the system is rigged it is but it doesn't it's only rigged. I mean, if it's rigged for anyone, it's you know it's rigged for the richest of the rich. And I don't even mean rich. I don't mean McMansion rich. I mean the kind of people that have senators that they can call on their cell phone. It's rigged. Yes. Otherwise, I'm not sure because it's just the people lower level, financially, socioeconomically, they are going to get more access. They're going to get into more, as Sipowitz would call them, jackpots. Because if you have a lawyer, you're going to avoid it or whatever, whatever way, or you know someone down at the, you know a cop at least. You don't know a senator. But if you really get in the crosshairs, having a little bit of wealth, having a million dollars doesn't mean anything. You're going to get crushed by the machine. And there's, there's the, the only people that can get above that. So it is a, you know, there are hierarchies, obviously, but to really be protected, you know, you got to have, you know, I don't know what the dollar figure is, but it's somewhere above 50 mil, I think. And then you can start buying senators. Yeah. And then the hypocrisy. Oh, even Michael Colleone had to kill a prostitute in order to, buy, to get Senator Geary. I mean, if you don't have a multimillion dollar account, then you got to be used to going low. Just well, remember, Michael had both, but but yeah. he, Geary was against Italians. He hated their hypocrisy or hated their ways, their greasy hair, he yeah. said. <laughs> I mean, that's the greatest line in movie history, I think, actually, is when he goes, uh, when Geary tells him, he goes, I want that and I want the money there by nine o'clock tomorrow. And I don't want you to contact me again. Talk to Turnbull. And then he, <laughs> Man, and then he gets his come up. Oh, my God. But when, but when he says... The great line is when Michael's just dead, st- like the like a cat that has an IQ, like a tiger that has an IQ of 160. He's looking at him, and he says, "Senator, you can have my answer now if you like, because <laughs> <laughs> my answer is this, my offer is this, nothing. In fact, I'd like you to personally put up the key for the gaming lights. <laughs> the, the way he delivers that <laughs> is the greatest thing ever." Yeah. I mean, uh, Ringer just did a big, long, like, two-and-a-half-hour pod on Godfather 2, and it's good because Koppelman, who does Billions, sat in on it. And, uh, you know, Bill was saying – Bill Simmons was saying that it was – he thinks Al Pacino's performance in 2 is the greatest greatest movie performance, obviously just American. I agree. I I, Like, real quick, round the horn – 
Fazek, your answer is going to be hilarious. Greatest American movie performance, man or woman? Matt. I need a couple seconds. All right, oh. so let's do this. This is not the way a tease is supposed to work. That has people actually wanting. We're going to do the picks. Well, first, we actually <laughs> we didn't even talk about why you didn't like the Colts, Fez. I mean, we didn't get too far into that. Well, I think it just comes down to an evaluation of Rivers, and I didn't like what I saw last year in the in really the last three quarters of the year. And I got to tell you, RJ, I listened to you, and you. I don't know if you agree with me anymore. I don't. Yeah. And that, so, so let me ask you a question. Quantify for me completely flat, meaning I don't want to see it skewed because it was at five and a half in one place or something. What was the market price on the Colts before signing Rivers? I don't mean at the open. I meant the day before the signing. You know, I'm not 100% certain. I think it was eight. Okay, so how can you talk about the adjustment for Rivers if you don't know what the uh, – oh, well, oh, well, I know it opened seven but, but that, and a half. But it, was yeah. bet, but it was bet up for other reasons right. at that point. Yes, yes. All right, so let's call it A. And the current number is eight and a half. I think it's 8.6. Oh, Jesus Christ. It's eight and a half. It's eight and a half, yes. So you're saying Rivers is worth nothing. And I'm not saying that is a crazy opinion, but that's what you're saying. Yeah. Because you're playing for the half game. Yeah, and I've got Brissett and Rivers 26th and 27th, so I'm saying he's worth well, nothing. I, okay. Yes. So, to me, the people that watch the tape, and, and this is something we readily admit, we don't watch the All-22. I wouldn't know what to look for. So, Fez, you rewatch almost all of the games. In fact, you rewatch them all. Some of it's on that 40-minute that version, right? Yeah, yeah, NFL Rewind. Right. Yeah, so... The case they made was when Rivers had time, he was as good as ever. When he didn't have time, he didn't handle it well at all. Now, let's not say as good as ever, but let's say he was a, a above-average quarterback when he had time. True or false? False. I disagree. Okay. So that's the gist of it. People that – there's people I – you know. I'm not saying there's one person that told me in my ear. Just the narrative seems to be of all the contrarian – things I've heard, the thing that's been the most persistent is the Colts are going to be... Because the let's be candid. There was a point last year when the Colts were 6-2. and two, Right? Was it 6-2? 5-2, uh, and two, I believe. 5-2. and two. Yeah. That if you... I would have stopped and said from here on, for the next three years plus this season, so 16 games, 16-16, and I guess the, the nine games left this season. So three and a half years and change. If I would have said let's do a snake draft for how many wins teams are going to have... I bet you would have had the Colts maybe fifth or sixth. Yes, agreed. Because you like that they're building from the line, all this stuff, Got that great middle linebacker, yeah. And they had, what, some close losses last year after, and probably a Brissette that's hurt, that was hurt. And lo and behold, if if they finished the year 10 and 6, You'd be, I mean, it, it just feels like the Colts are an up-and-coming team. I'm not sure that the number's too high, even if, the, if, if Rivers is just as good. Is it, it, are they really an average team? Because you're saying if you bet under 8.5, you're saying that they're an average team. They're, the number should be 8, right? Yes. You're saying the Colts are an average team. No, because I gave it out under 9. So I, I, I think the Colts are an 8.5 win team. So I'm neutral. I'm neutral at 8.5. All right, and and you can see the other argument. I think absolutely. And and the question, and I'll tell you this: if the analysis and McKenzie, let's take a gander at that. I don't know which we got a bunch of stats on quarterbacks. What's the best stat for 
how teams or how a quarterback does when he does he's not under pressure. Let's find that. I think it's at SIS uh, Sports Info site. Um, I can't remember the exact name. I just bought their draft guide, but um, let's assume just for thirty seconds that it ends up that he was fourteenth when. Uh, and I'm not saying find it now. We'll do the research. I mean, if you can find it, great. But um, if if we find out the Rivers was fourteenth when not under pressure, obviously the the theory here is the Colts don't aren't going to give up much pressure because they have such a good line and they just trade. They might have one of the best lines we've seen in the last ten years. At this point. Yeah, they should be able to protect him, and I would concede. If he's 14th, I'm wrong. I, You know, Rivers has always but had— I, I know you'd be wrong about Rivers, but then you would see that the Colts over, or at least the under, wouldn't be a good play. I, I agree. And, and frankly, Rivers always has had a shot-putting motion to his throws. It's unconventional. No doubt. And I really don't like what I saw at the end of the year. Just with the way the ball was coming out, it just was— when you watch enough, as much football as I, it's just it's just different than all the other quarterbacks throw the ball, and that's very discerning to me. And obviously, he had poor results from it. So, Matt, on the silver spoon scale, which <laughs> we actually did something at the beginning that's going to be at the end, when someone says, "If you watch as much football as I," where does that? I mean, like that sounds like like some variation of the King's English. Is it correct? I think it is, but I think it's – I would normally say as I do. Yeah, I would too. It, otherwise, <laughs> it has to be me as me. No, it's the object. It's still the subject, right? So I is the subject in this case. If you watch as much football as I. So he is the guy watching football. So it is right that it's I, right? But doesn't it? Doesn't the me turn it into a direct object? If you say me, you're just you're ter- you're making it wrong. I think I'm making bad podcasts <laughs> right now. <laughs> no, 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 no. But 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 what I'm saying is is most people would say if you, if you work out as much as I do, yeah, right. So, I, but, he, I, but he goes, it sounds like Robin Quivers when they do the Robin voice. It's like, well, when you watch as much football as I, as I exactly, yeah, yeah. it's it's probably like a four-ish. Fez, <laughs> where did you? I never heard you do that before. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll see about Rivers for next week. You're going to rank the running backs. Now, we'll save the, the Hitman's got a draft prop. Why don't we do that? We'll do the Hitman's dra- draft prop now, and then we'll jump into your normal best bet. Does that sound good? Sounds good. Let's do uh yeah, so we'll go straight to that, and we'll save Blossom for Faz. Faz gets Blossom. So here he is, the Hitman. All right. Draft, best bet. We're going to go with Justin Herbert to be the second quarterback taken at plus money. Now, shop around for this because you're going to see anywhere from plus 110 to as high as there's still going to be some plus 150s out there on this one. And as far as this prop goes, it's a two-man race to be the second quarterback taken between Tua and Justin Herbert. Tua opened minus 500, but now he's getting bet down. And why is that? That's because Almost every single respected mock drafter or league insider is saying that there's serious concerns with Tua's hip. And not just is the hip a concern, but the fact that he's broken his wrist and multiple other body parts during his career at Bama. So he's kind of getting labeled as an injury-prone player. The coronavirus pandemic, definitely hurting his stock, as teams can't get him in the building to get a medical on him, and the last time they had a checkup on him was nearly two months ago at the Combine. There's either two things happening here. One, the Dolphins 
are setting up the biggest smoke screen in league history by having literally every single media member reporting that they like Herbert over Tua or Tua's stock is actually falling. I'm going to go with the former on that one. We're taking Herbert, second quarterback taken, plus money. All right, so draft itself, Fez, and the hitman's the hitman. This guy knows his stuff. I would say bet it. Personally, and I went long on this on SOV, so if you're not listening to that podcast, you're missing out. Just search your podcast player, RJ Bell, or you can search straight out of Vegas. If you're not subscribed here, you're missing out. There's going to be some changes coming up to the pod, and I'm excited about them. So make sure you're subscribed. Um, uh, Here's what I want to talk about with the idea of Tua. To me, the key here is it was an, and this is kind of the dichotomy I've created where smart money, if it's predictive, as in they're predicting the Steelers are going to play well or not, so the line goes up or down, that is important, no doubt. But all it is is someone's opinion is, you know, potentially expert and strong, and that's important. But think about when it's the information is determinate, where it dictates who wins. That's what it is on things like, you know, who is going to win wrestling. When I gave the WrestleMania one out, I didn't even know at the time it had been pre-recorded, so there was even more of a chance that something had slipped out, right? And when Brock Lesnar is plus two hundred, you take the other side because they're trying to fish you in. What we saw with Tua wasn't a trickle, so it was minus four hundred. A month ago that he would be and let's be specific the second quarterback taken right so i'm just trying to think if he would have went first did that prop win or not because it's kind of weird it almost like it, it would lose so it should have been an over under yeah so boy that's a goofy prop don't you you know it's like the porridge you don't want it too hot you don't want it too cold but it was minus 400 right and the theory mm-hmm. is herbert was the only other guy it could be so you know it was an unlikely event herbert was going to be second then it drifted and drifted and drifted to minus 200. And that was literally um, not, was it yesterday? It was yesterday, right? So it was Tuesday. It was minus um, a little bit before SOV, straight out of Vegas. It was in that minus 200 range. Yep. And lo and behold, in a couple hours, it went to two of being the dog about going second and Herbert being the favorite. And it stayed in that range. That is not people betting because of Mel Kuyper. That's a, that is steam. So that is informed money. So the question becomes, well, who's informed? What would the information be? Obviously, all the news reports come out. All the people that's got one or two NFL contacts, Colin and them saying, and Colin's got more than one or two, but maybe one or two people called him and said, you know, like, hey, uh, Herbert's all over the place higher than Tua. And then all of a sudden now it's, you're seeing all the mocks are talking about this isn't that the mocks are predicting anything. They're hearing things. And there's nothing wrong with that. If anything, mocks are super valuable the last week, right before the draft, when all these reporters are getting all their sources to give them the best they got, those mocks get mighty accurate. And Fez, we had this debate, and I've reevaluated. I, I was skeptical last week, and I'm actually more skeptical now. 
I don't think you can use a mock from a couple weeks, three weeks, or even more to bet. I think these mocks, all you got is these McShays and Kuypers guessing until the last week. And I think that last mock, like you, John, when when Johnny or uh, when Baker Mayfield went, and this is what Jonas brought up, he was like supposed to be the sixth pick in the draft, and then the morning of, every mock went to him going number one. Yeah, it's a great example. And also, remember when Larry Tunzel was in consideration to be the number one pick and he fell to 13 because of the whole gas mask information at the very last minute. So to me, when you see it, if you look, here would be my tip. You look at the, the mock drafts and look at the big movements, not the, oh, the guy was third, now he's going fourth. But when you see the guy go from undrafted to 14th or, or non-first round to 14th, that's information. So look at the delta on these drafts. That's the key, the mocks. And trust them more as you get there. I would much rather bet game day using the mocks as information than a month before. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I think that like in the last, what, 48 hours. Yeah, I when say you so. See, would you, you go, I, I mean, I'd go like 72 hours, but the last 48 hours, it seems like that's where the real sweet information is coming out. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And and I'm not saying you can't use the mocks before that. They just get much more valuable. Uh, and the hitman stays on top of these things. So, And, and it's interesting because he's saying, oh, you need plus money. It's like there are, there's places I think he's still a little plus money. But he, <clears throat> the idea of saying who would ever bet something that was at pl- uh, plus 300, let's say, and now it's you're getting plus 110. And there's no injury, like meaning it's the same proposition. It's insane if it was predictive that you would ever bat it, but it's information-based. And people, Jonas asked me on the show, well, do we want to look at Tua because there's value? I'm like, typically with prediction, you're right. If it moves too much, you want to look the other way. But here, or if it moves a lot, it's likely too much. But here, it's information-based. There is, if I, it would be hard for me... <clears throat> If you're betting Tua to go second, you're betting the information is wrong. I would need probably six or seven to one to bet that. That's interesting that you're saying six to seven to one because I was thinking to myself, if you offered me Tua, I thought I was on a, on the uh, end of a branch here where if you said, Fez, you can have Tua plus 150, I would actually say, no, thank you. <clears throat> but you'd say plus two. I, I'm not going to offer it to you because, I mean, I've heard, you know, but you, you would think you'd really, sounds like you would have taken it two to one. Yes, absolutely. Here's why you might not be wrong. <laughs> That's a funny line from back at my year after college. I did have kind of a, a bang around year and uh, in Columbus and uh, my, you know, the buddies I was with, uh, we were with each other like nonstop. Right. And we, as you could guess, there was a lot of arguments. And at one point the guy goes, Scott goes, um, he was at my wedding, still a good friend. He goes, uh, you know, I'm not going to disagree with anyone anymore. If I disagree, I'm going to say you might not be wrong, <laughs> which is really so I ended up with whatever with Mary. My wife is, um, you know, we'd be disagreeing on something and I wanted to get out, you know, finally say enough of this conversation is I go, you know, you might not be wrong. Let's just move on. <laughs> I think I'm going to get that when I give you my best actor. Ah, oh, 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 OK. But to finish the point real quick is. If it's information that you is uh, can be known for sure, like who's going to go number one and you get the info from the Bengals, but this is known pretty much, but you know what I'm saying. 
then I would bet that the information is right more than 66% of the time, right? Around the minus 200, right? So, but since this is, it feels like it's a directional information, there's just more and more, because no one knows if someone might jump up to two and, and take Tua. So, I'm less sure even if it is information because of the of the type of information that could be known. Unless they know for sure that Washington's taken to uh, Herbert, how could they know for sure that two is not going to go you, first? You can't. Too many moving parts, too many teams. That's why. So I would. I think there's a better 66% chance that the information's right. But I don't think the information, if right, will be winning. It won't win for me 100% of the time. Yes. Yes, that's a super advanced point. <laughs> I agree with you. Okay. It's not a yes. It's you could go 100,000 hours and not hear that point, Fez. <laughs> You've never made that point, have you? No, I have not. You've never even split inf- or uh, predictive value between predicting games or information that's, that's actually uh determinant have you i'm just trying to figure out what you just quantified uh so since i i, I can't it wasn't immediately obvious the answer is clearly no no what i what well i said it earlier so if, if you don't understand it's worth saying one more time what i'm saying is this if we hear that there's steam like we'll make a bet on the college pod and you'll kind of smile because you had uh in you know you had uh Otherwise, guys that liked it enough that you liked it, right? Right. And what what is? Let's say what you're saying is exactly true. What you're saying is someone that's very good at predicting games that typically hits 55 percent is on this. That's I believe this is a 55 percent bet, right? That's what you're saying. Mm-hmm. In this case, if we know who the number one pick is going to be, or anything like WrestleMania, where it's pre- where if we do have information, it's not that it's going to win fifty five percent of the time. It's going to win much, much more. It's like uh, again, Survivor is the best example. They had time that Survivor was already taped, and they would have two people at, at literally at like plus one ten, and everyone else at like fourteen to one, because they already knew the two that were going to make the finals, and the final was live. But people would go, oh, my gosh, that guy at 7-1, to one, I'll take it. But they, the two, and actually, if you would have played them at, e, uh, at plus money, you would have had a good bet. But they had to make it. They, they couldn't make it look that obvious. You see, so, but if I would have known who the final two was, in that case, I would win 50% of the time. Yes. Not, not, but meaning 50% of the time when the odds in theory should be like 10 to 1 on everyone. Mm-hmm. So... You're not getting this stuff. Well, yeah, yeah, no, it's predetermined that everyone else is drawing dead. There's no chance. Yeah, thus, if I have inside in, or like the best example is um, who's what the first song in the national anthem was going to be with that thing with Ravel. Yeah, so you it, know, you know what the winner is. Someone yeah, knows. So if you, you don't knew, know, if you knew for sure, well, I did. If you mm. know for sure what it was, then w- would you lay minus fifteen thousand? Oh, but, of course. Yeah, you'd lay, lay infinity in theory if there wasn't transaction issues or whatever. Yes. That's my point. Is inside information when that information is determinate. It determines uh-huh. the winner is so much better than 55% information. Makes complete sense. And the only indeterminate part of this is that it's certainly possible that as of right now, the Chargers in Detroit have already spoken. They've got they've hacked out a deal that the Chargers well, is going to move up to still, it, Why not have it trade now then? Yeah, because it could change. Right? right. And so it might not, not be 100%. that. It might not be that. It could mm-hmm. be that just more people like Herbert. It's gone. Because remember, most of the – it stopped at even money. It's not like it's still steaming, which kind of tells me 
that it's more that it got to be over half the people that they had a network to was taking Herbert, and they thought, well, shit, we're getting plus 200. And they steamed it down, and they probably quit batting at plus 130. Oh, it's possible open order went out on Herbert to plus 125, something like that. Exactly like I said. Yeah. Thank you for confirming it was possible. So the point I'm saying is, I don't know exactly what the inside info is, so I don't want to lay 200. But if it was a different type of bat, I would have laid you more than that on the WrestleMania bat because I believe in that. Now, here's the question. If I'm willing to lay 150, I should be betting this at Pick'em, and I'm not for some reason. It almost feels like mm-hmm. there's still that value thing that's holding me back, but I know it's not true. Well, I think it's your instincts as a better, like, and, and you've identified it's almost never correct when you could have had plus 300 yeah. to bet plus 100, but it is correct here. If it's only predictive steam, though. Not determined. Right. Do you see it now? I see it. All right. I see it. You've never done that, have you? I've never explained it like that, yes. Oh, you've never even articulated any point oh, yeah, near yeah, that. Yeah, that's what I meant. See, ah. I, I, was, I was inarticulate trying to articulate it. <laughs> no, it's just an interesting... I mean, to me, I've never heard it, and it's just interesting, because mm-hmm. it is... It, it actually helps discipline me to think about what I'm actually betting. Because if you do anything but games, there's, you're actually betting at MVP, the voters. You're not betting who the best player. And that's a good discipline. What are you betting? But if all you're betting is games, you know what you're betting, right? So I guess money line versus spread's a different equation. But all right. So you've got your best bet, and we got our gal first. Let's play it. Go, Fez, go. All right, we're going to go NFL draft first round. Going to play the SEC under 15 and a half SEC players taken in the first round. Uh, let me outline this. I'm really curious to see what oh, you think about I this one, I don't like RJ. it so far. All right. First off, his, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you why I'm making this bet. Historically, the reason I noticed this is I was like 15 and a half. The SEC against the field, that looks crazy. So I had McKenzie do a little research. Not that this is all that significant, but last year, SEC, nine players. Year before, SEC, ten players in the first round. So this is a historical huge jump up from what it has been in prior years. Now, I understand that doesn't mean that this is a good bet, but it is something to be aware of. I mean, this is the old Brad Powers. If you're on the, outs- if you're on the edges of history— That means there's got to be something that's saying history doesn't matter, meaning we're Trump in history. So what's the reason to Trump history? And oftentimes it's not a good enough reason. It's always this is different is what you hear, but it's often not. Yes. So I said, you know, let me take a look at some of these uh, mock drafts. So I took took a look at a couple of them. They had about 14. The the two mock drafts I looked at 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 first had 14 SEC players going in the first round. Looked at Kuiper. That one just came out. 15 SEC players. I'm like, hmm. Pretty too close for comfort here. Under 15 and a half, that's really walking a razor's edge. But then I look at Kuiper and his first five guys going in the second round, none of them in the SEC. So I was comforted by that. In other words, hey, if any of these guys pop in unexpectedly into the first round, then I'm going to go ahead and not lose because of it. So adding it all up, I'm like, you know what? I no, this think- makes sense. This is like looking in a way, this is going to seem like a weird analogy. But if you're on an exchange, it's like looking at the depth of, you know, there's the stuff that's the best bid and ask, right? And then you can look to see what's next and have an idea. Is this price kind of goofy and it's out there by itself? And, and, and what the second price is? Or if the one price is at minus 
120 and the next price is minus 121 and there's a lot of money behind it, you trust that price more. Yes, and I also looked at all these props, and you know what? They're not dealing like 8s and 12s and and 15s. They're dealing the halves. They're rounding up on all these props. Like, where will Judy go in the first you know first round over under 9.5? Because they don't want to refund the money. So because they're rounding up, I'm sure they're thinking to themselves, hey, 15, 15.5, not that big of a difference. But I'm going to make the case here, RJ. I think these half points are... Absolutely- so just to be clear, it was the sixth pick in the second round, the SEC guy? Yes. So if you get if everything goes to Kuiper and one guy gets picked, six picks early. Yeah, I see it. Go ahead. And oh. what's the VIG on this? So VIG, you can find it minus 115, under right. 15 and a half. And I really think the distribution to this, and I know this sounds crazy because normally if you had like a Poisson distribution and the over-under was 15, you could have a 9, you could have a 19. Like if you went out and said, I'm going to catch 15 fish on average, you could catch 22 fish. This is not a Poisson distribution. This distribution is extremely tight. Did you catch the name McKenzie? He actually tried to explain this before the show. And no, I'm but I'm saying do you, you notice he said Poisson twice. Oh, yeah. That's, I, I that's thought it was where, I thought it was where you that. were vacationing, but go ahead. <laughs> so, RJ, I'll make the case that really, like, and I'm going to simplify this a little bit. This is much more, this is such a tight distribution. I think 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 all have about a 20% chance of landing. And so the under 15 and a half is, I believe, a 60% bet, but... Note, some books have this prop up. Will there be more players taken SEC versus the field? And the field's like minus 150 if you can find this. So let's think about this now. If there's 16 SEC players, there could be 16 others. So 16 would result in a push, right? Exactly right. And and you have to lay – it seems like a whole lot of extra vig. Instead of laying minus 115, you got to lay like minus 150 on that prop. But I'll make the case if you can find that, that's even better. So it's, it's worth more than 35 cents. Way more, because according to just those numbers I gave you, if you got under 16, which essentially you're betting on the SEC, now you're going to win 75% of the time. Okay. And no one could miss a pick. All right. Yeah. All right. Here's why I don't like it, or why I like it less. What is going to happen in this draft due to the coronavirus, due to the social distancing, the remote elements of it, and specifically on the risk-taking spectrum? Less risk, flight to quality. And what is quality in college football? SEC. Uh, I mean, the holy grail on this show is to stop someone from making a bet because it's a sign you talked them out of something they love that much. Just can it. Did you... Did you contemplate that? I did contemplate it, and that's why this Didn't is, mention it, though. This, this is a bet, not a huge bet, because oh, of that oh, very it's a, it's reason. Called a, it's called a best bet. It's a best bet. And you just said it's a 60% bet. Exactly. And then, hold on. What? A 60% bet's not a huge bet. It is... No, it's I, humongous. It's I, as big as it gets. I would have estimated we would have won a lot higher if not for this flight to quality that you bring up. But if you're saying it's a 60% bet. How can it go higher than that? On a draft prop pick? Yeah. Oh, well, still. Yeah, could, it's not higher than 60. Uh, Ramadan fast? Yeah. I did that. The I'm birthday, talking about your The picks. birthday party in 21? I'm, I'm not saying there's not there's not a pick once a year that can be better. You're, get, you're, you're finding once a month later. Uh, whatever. But what I, I appreciate it. I know you're trying to defer. It's true. You're thinking the compliments are going to make me stop talking about this. But, but you they're relevant. About These props get mispriced. Yeah. I don't know. So... I do like that 
Kuiper's the only one you're within one, because that gives you some margin. Exactly. But I tell you this, the quarter, I think you might be in trouble on this draft prop with the quarterbacks. Oh, yes. The, the fact, I, to summarize, I played over four, and I said this is the ultimate free roll. Yeah, you said no way it goes under four. No way. We're going to push or we're going to win well. Now we're going to push or we're going to lose. Well, for sure that. But I'm saying I think your chance of losing is moving towards 50%. Well, that's why on the pod last week I gave out Jordan Love over 15 and a half, and it sounds like you— Oh, this, um, uh, this sounds perfect, right? Let's keep betting. Like, keep chasing your tail on things, right? Well, so he'll go 12th. But then, who knows? Well, I guess if he goes, if you're he fine. goes twelfth, I'm gonna. I, I, but but I, he's I, RJ. I don't think he's gonna go twelfth or nineteenth or twenty second. I think it's gonna be sweat, and I think Jordan Love's probably gonna go about twenty ninth. Well, has that moved? Yeah, his over under now I think is like twenty one. I, I saw one book. I saw nineteen and a half in another book. It's moved up, um, moved higher at uh, every every book I looked at. All right, I personally wouldn't bet this, but I'm not anxious to bet against it because I do think there's a lot of good logic there. I think there's a flight to quality. And that's one of the things we're going to talk a lot about is how will the draft be affected by Corona and and really more affected by the isolation and the distancing, et cetera. And actually next week will be a perfect time. I think the Raiders have a big advantage, a big advantage um, with Mayock. And I actually have some sound from him we'll play next week. But it's good right before the draft, I think. Okay, so as we say, good job, Fez. As we say, we don't add it. But sometimes if I get on too much of a tangent, we'll put it at the end of the pod just for the picks only crowd. We got one of those. It's funny. Silver spoons. Oh, my gosh. Fez, you, you felt under siege. Fair to say? <laughs> wait, t- wait till you see how I feel after my uh, actor pick coming up. All right, so that's our last thing. Then we're going to have that nice, uh, funny, Fez, funny. All right, we'll start with the Hollywood, we'll call him, ironically. Producer Matt, who's your favorite actor? Or favorite acting performance, I'm sorry. De Niro, Raging Bull. Oh, now that might be second for me or that is a good freaking pick if you were a taxi driver i wouldn't have let i love taxi driver raging bull's better hey ray oh okay mckenzie i'm gonna go ed norton 25th hour interesting i thought you were gonna go american history x i actually considered that uh, i, I think considered that's ed norton and, and jody foster uh my two favorite actors because they both went to yale Oh, Jesus God. You know, I might, you know, we have a, you know, a, a, in fact, it's now instituted a $50 fine. If you talk about having a pick at a number, it's going to be, you talk about your Ivy League school. It's 50 bucks. Well, donate to charity. That's Some underprivileged kids that didn't go to Yale. Jesus. All right. And it's one thing if you're 22. I mean, come on. I, I respect it. Just shouldn't be a big part of the conversation. Though I do think it's, and it's not for you usually. <clears throat> it's, it's interesting though. I had a, um, cousin, like a second cousin and she was, she went to Stanford and you would think that's what the fifth or sixth or seven, you know, one of the top seven or eight schools. And she had a friend that went to Harvard that was in Vegas for Thanksgiving, like five, four years ago, maybe three years ago. And they, you know, I was, we were sitting at dinner and everyone, you know, the whole family's there, all the generations. And they, my family comes in for Thanksgiving every year. And 
the that's the one time that like the whole family comes out and the um the dude who was her friend and it wasn't like a boyfriend it was a friend she was telling a story about him she goes and then he dropped the h bomb and it's like what and and apparently amongst the kids the parlance was that you know the harvard people would you know have to strategically drop the h bomb when they were hitting on a chick, let's say, is, you know, when do I say it? You know, early, le- that's interesting. Was there anything like that, Mackenzie? Oh, yeah, we developed all kinds of strategies. <laughs> Did it you- work? I'm, I'm guessing there wasn't a lot of nights of torrid sex, though. <laughs> no, we, we were nerds. We were kind of pathetic nerds. All the thinking didn't come to much, did it? <laughs> that's kind of our philosophy, you know, We're more theory than practice. <laughs> <laughs> 50 bucks, unfortunately. Damn right it. there. <laughs> Boom. All right, Fez, who you got? Michael Douglas, The oh. Game. Oh, my gosh. Now, if you would have went Wall Street. See, you think Wall Street, but you didn't want to do it. It felt too obvious. Exactly. <laughs> but why not do what you feel? I-, I loved him in both. The game, you know, that stresses me out so much when I watch it. it it's a good, that's a sign of how good it is, right? And I wanted to pick something that was so underappreciated. I mean. Oh, yes. Fezzik for the, the undiscovered gems in movies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so my last thing will be this. I think it's De Niro. Oh, I'll check that. I think it's Pacino. I think it's De Niro second. But I'm going to say Daniel or Daniel Day-Lewis is in the conversation for There Will Be Blood. Yeah, Definitely. I can see that. You've seen that, Fez? Uh, the, you know, I don't remember it well, but the straw scene stood out to me. Okay. Classic. <laughs> We're gonna Fez like the line he goes. I'm gonna pay him sheet prices. Right? <laughs> he liked that line. Uh, <laughs> uh, let me think here. Last, yeah, just give me one more second. Let's think about the '80s. The you know we'll tease it for next week. So here's what we'll do for next week. We'll just have a we'll call it the movie minute, and it will only be a minute, and it will be at the end so people can jump off. And the question is, give me, we'll stay with the great actors or we'll start with actors, right? Because we could say, I know that you're supposed to call actresses actors, but we'll say leading men or whatever we want to call it. Oh, you know who else needs to be? I mean, I'll tell you right now. I got to pick a Philip Seymour Hoffman performance. Oh, yeah. I mean, God darn. He he was a guy that was like De Niro. And I know later in life. It, it's get, it gets harder, right? De Niro did he even have a bad performance till he was 50. I don't know. But I don't know if Philip Seymour Hoffman ever had a bad performance. And he died young, right? You know what's funny, though? Last thing. If you just blend TV and movies, and it would have been absurd, right? You know, like, uh, you know, <laughs> it would have been Henry Winkler or De Niro. No. But, <laughs> but I'll tell you this right now is, and I, this is the obvious one, James Gandolfini is probably the fifth or sixth best actor, in my opinion, since 1970. Oh, yeah. I mean, did you see him in his last movie, the the HBO? It, I, I didn't go straight to HBO, but HBO produced it, and it was the... Um, it, it wasn't the girl from Seinfeld, was it? But it was it was it was like a younger, good-looking girl or woman. Yeah, and Elaine Bennis from Enough Said it, or whatever. It her was name is. it was her. Okay, yeah, Enough Said is it? Enough Said is a great. Have you seen that, Matt? No, I haven't seen it. I mean, he just plays this schleppy guy, 
and his daughter's going off to school, and it's no it's no spoiler is him and you know laying the character is um they get to get to know each other because their their daughters are friends, and they're both leaving, and they didn't really know each other till they were dealing with they were both single children you know lone children, and it's just like he starts crushing on her, and she's like look at him look at me. And it, it, you know, looks why, and it was really a heartbreaking performance. Oh wow! But not heartbreaking like Kramer versus Kramer or Sophie's Choice, but rather just like it was like he put out there the feelings in such a way. And then you look at the performance um, in the movie The Castle, right? Did you see that where Robert Redford's in it and he plays the prison warden, and it's a military prison. No. Oh my gosh, he has a lisp and he's trying to act tough, but he went against Tony Soprano in all of these. Yeah. And was so freaking good. So I mean, but again, oftentimes, the guys that feel enough to be great actors can't feel that all the time, so they got to mute it with drugs. Yeah. I mean, Philip C. I mean, you think about it. I mean, River Phoenix. I don't think he would have ever risen to that. River Phoenix was considered. I mean, I was 21 years old when he died, or whatever. He was considered the actor of his generation for his age. He was. I remember that. And now you don't all. You know, his brother's done so well. You River's an afterthought. Yeah, I was going to put the Joker in the uh, top performance. Hey, a lot of people. Listen, I mean, Heath Ledger too, actually, right? Yeah. But Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, well. First off, I now have the Philip Seymour. It's got to be the master, I guess. Whoa. Right? Yeah. I don't know. But, yeah, Paul Thomas. I mean, Jesus Christ. What? I tell you this. You got to give Paul Thomas Anderson credit. He gets the horses when it comes to actors and actresses. I mean, if, you, if you're if you going literally from uh, <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis to Philip Seymour Hoffman, I mean, it's like a dream. Oh, my God. He, I mean, he learned from the best, Spielberg. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, listen, we got Fez and the Silver Spoon debate. If you don't want to hear it, stop now. I got to tell you, obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, people are passing away from this. I mean, just as obviously, I think you could make the case that things have gone better than projected. So now you also could make the case, well, if they had prepped more before, you also could make the case that if you do too much of that prepping before, it ca- it's like having insurance. Too much insurance is bad. Not enough insurance is bad. But if you have it set up where you can never take a loss because you got so much insurance, you probably are net net losing in the long run. Faz, even as a former actuary, you'd admit to that, I think. Yeah, and I think it goes to the whole question of you know hedging when it's a li- a life changing type yes. of of money. If you, example, you're about to win a million dollars or zero. I don't think any uh, advantage gambler or would recommend well, you. Well, an advantage gambler that 400 or whatever the amount they'd make, let's say, would you take four, 450K is the question on a coin flip? And the answer is yes, if 450 changes your life. Exactly. So you don't have to. But, but some gamblers, you know, uh, Billy in the day or whatever, would have rode with it because it would have been like one third of his nut. Exactly. Or one third of his bankroll. Exactly right. So if your bankroll is less than a million and you're about to have a million dollar payday, it makes sense to do a some sort of hedging bet. You just don't have to hedge the whole thing. You don't have to risk five hundred thousand back the other way. Maybe you wager two hundred and fifty thousand, by example, something like that. So Fez, one of the things is, you know, you've heard me say a variation of this how many times in the last couple of years, would you say? Uh twelve. All right. 
and when you say right, it's as if you're grading me. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? You should say, I agree. I agree. And I, I, RJ, I love the example. All things being equal, you throw out that 400,000 a lot. Would you rather have a million, uh, a half 50-50 shot, or 400,000? And then the wheels start turning. And basically, the, the, the optimal answer depends upon, well, what's my current bankroll and financial situation? You know, I can't lie. I don't talk about my financial situation much. Um, but I would probably let it roll. So that feels pretty good, I guess, right? But I'm kind of, I like risk if it's smart risk, right? Because effectively, will you pay fifty? You're paying fifty thousand of insurance if it's four fifty or hundred, whatever the number is. You're paying insurance, saying I can't, I don't want to lose it all. Great way to think about it, yes. right? And I'm saying that if it was four, you know, ten mil, and it was four point five, I'm taking the four point five, <laughs> right? Because that's life changing. And now we can get a boat that um... the half a stick is life changing, but not really. You can eat wherever. Now, I'm not you... talking about you. I'm talking about me. Yeah, you can. In I mean, the you're one in a case, whole different situation. You you can eat wherever you want versus sleeping wherever you want, right? <laughs> well, you mean like whatever hotel you mean? Yes. Oh, okay. Huh. I never thought of that as like a sign of wealth is what hotel I'm at. But I guess it is. I mean. I remember, <laughs> like right when pregame started, I, I went, uh, which seems to be a trend. My girlfriend at the time was working for me, and the uh, we went to San Diego to do some uh, design stuff at a design company, and we were trying to save money, so it was like a $60 you know, red roof in, I think it was. I'm not sure which one it was, though. And uh, I got a rash on the side of my neck. <laughs> That lasted for like two weeks. And it was like, it was the red rash in after that. So, <laughs> I mean, let's just say that, that level, getting above that level actually is a good thing if you can. Because uh, who wants who wants to wake up with a big inflamed neck? The, I, I, I don't even know what that was. The marginal utility of going from a two-star to a three-star is probably for most people the highest increase you know versus three to four, right? You make a good point, but I'm not sure that's the jump. I think the jump's from three to four mm. because what you'll see is, and again, uh, let's say a type like a Holiday Inn or whatever. So you're thinking decent, clean, but let's say it's 189. Then there's another place that has a boutique. It's got its own, you know, continental breakfast. You know, it doesn't really have any real food, but you know what I'm saying? It's got every, and it's like 229. Now, then if you go five, for, you know, you're going to pay 400 bucks or whatever. So, but to me, going from something that, let's say, Kevin Arnold's dad would have went to on Wonder Years, let's say, you know what kind of place mm -hmm. he'd go to, right? Is up to a level where if Kevin Arnold had a rich uncle that the dad was mad at because he was flaunting, you know, he was flashing money around and giving Kevin the wrong idea. That jump is usually like thirty bucks. And I think and why I, are you acting like you're ignorant towards and this? I'm thinking about hotels and it lends you. You, you do realize you don't supposed to be silent. You're supposed to talk. I'm trying to think about Kevin Arnold and like he's the little boy right in the wonder years there. Yes. Yes. That's, that's indeed. <laughs> so you wind up staying you're right at, on, baby. You're you wind right up on. staying at the Mirage or Aria. You don't have to stay at the Win. Yes. Uh, no, I don't no? think that's it at all. Hmm. You think the win is that much better than the Aria? Oh, I do. Yeah. Why? In what way? Every way. <laughs> I, I'd say it is five-star versus four-star completely. <laughs> listen, listen, the funny thing is the real takeaway from that is a four-star 
versus a five is it's in every way. And somehow his lips are moving like Mr. Ad every way. I say he was so into it. <laughs> because you love affluence, don't you? I mean, you just love it. You know, to be fair, I don't want to answer that. Um, to be honest, <laughs> maybe, maybe so. But you don't know this, RJ. Maybe so. My, my mother's father, my grandfather on my oh mother's my, side. Oh, my God. By the way, you can't cry poor two generations ago. Fair enough. But he, Jesus Christ. But, but he was a union organizer oh, in a mattress oh, so, factory. So you you know can that query meant, it. That meant he wasn't working and he was taking kick, but who knows what? He was like Jimmy Hoffa. No, no. He was what working. Do you mean, how do you know? He was a worker in a how, mattress factory. Oh, except union work. Do you, you ever watch The Sopranos? That's what... Uh, Corrado Soprano, Junior Soprano, was a union organizer. That's code for mob. He wasn't you, a mobster. Listen, you might want to look into your family. I'll, I'll do It'd some research. It'd be so cool if it was, though. I mean, I mean, let's be candid. Your brand improves. <laughs> so I would just keep saying union organizer and you do sanitation, right? It's, <laughs> I mean, it, it's in the family tree. It, we might have the Hank Williams song going now. It's a family tradition for Fez to say that he's a, uh, what, what's that drop say? I haven't to play that drop for so long. Waste management consultant. Yeah, you're a waste management consultant, and your grandfather was a union organizer. I can go with that. <laughs> the funny thing is, Mackenzie, he was trying to make himself out to be like working class. <laughs> you know something, Matt? We didn't know we were going to have to play it. Hit it. Waste management consultant. <laughs> oh, you got that. I meant, <laughs> I meant silver spoons. We can't avoid it. <laughs> I mean, think about it. He thought that was his bona fides when it came to being a working class. You know, that actually, and we'll move on, but that reminds me. <laughs> ah, that reminds me of my wife who grew up in a small town in Montana. And she went to Missoula, you know, Montana University, I think it's called. It's not Montana State. So yeah. And the funny thing is, and I'm kind of proud of this. A lot of people are going to be appalled, but hey, we've been together. You know, we dated for two years. Well, one year dated, engaged. You know, I was like in my mid thirties, so it was time and it was right. So one year engaged, one year dating before that, and then married. And then it's been like 11 years or whatever from there. A lot, you know, 11 and not whatever. <laughs> and I've never stepped foot in Montana. Her family still lives there. <laughs> I always say, what am I going to do in Montana? And she looks, he goes, you know, you're right. <laughs> now, they've come here a decent amount. The mom's here a lot, but, you know, and it's good. Glacier National Park, zero visits, RJ? I, she's always like, there's just, you know, 50 minutes from the house, there's a steak place, man. People come from all around. It's like. Yeah, well, five minutes down the road is the Bellagio, so yeah, I'm fine. I, but the funny thing is, and let's be candid, you can like Trump, not like Trump, whatever. But Trump's kind of a, you know, I think it's fair to say uh, he's a guy that likes power. He's a guy that likes, um, uh, he's not a guy to make concessions, you know. And some people would think that's great. They like str that perceived strength. Other people think it's a sign of you know, him being closed-minded or being too facile, you know, superficial, whatever. Okay, we can debate that or not. But 
he actually, you know, uh, Melania was uh, from, was uh, Slovenia. And the only reason I know that country is my sister, actually, her husband at the time worked for, it wasn't GE, but it was like a company like GE that just had places all over the world. And they had like two and a half years that, that he was in Slovenia. And, you know, I never went there, but I, again, I like to be near the Bellagio. But, you know, I know a little bit about the country, you know, from that. It's right near Italy. And that's where Melania is from. And Trump, they asked him, have you ever been to Slovenia at one point? He goes, yes. I'm like, oh, my God. Trump's more, you know, Trump's doing something I won't do. And then it's like, he goes, well, not actually her hometown. He goes, the private jet landed. I stayed in that area. He goes, that's enough. (laughs) (laughs) So it's almost like if I would come to Montana, but like pick Missoula or whatever, stay in the big city, but I'll go back to the backwoods. But I never even did that. I can't lie. I'm a little proud of that. Though I'm sure about a third of the people are like, you know, this makes sense. We, <laughs> this is what we don't like about them. That makes sense. But it's just me. Faz, I'm guessing you've been to your wife's hometown a bunch. Well, she's from Monterey. Oh, there's always going to be some excuse. Go ahead. Yes. Be, well, it, it, because she's from Monterey, Carmel, and her sister like is Mono like what? Monterey and Carmel in Northern California. And her sister. Why, why would you say Northern Mono? Why would anyone like is Monterey some big city? Well, it, it's Mackenzie, is Monterey some? When's the last time you heard the word Monterey spoken? Uh, not too often. Population twenty seven thousand. Oh yes, Monterey. And then you said something after it. What was, I thought it was like the coast of France or something. Car- the, Carmel is just south. What the of hell Monterey. is that? It's like a bed and breakfast delight place. So my, why would you mention both places? She can't be from two places because my wife's sister manages all these hotels Who in cares? Carmel. So it's a perfect vacation spot. Oh yes, I'm sure. So it's just you know so me. Perfect. You know me. Like free vacation. No, I, I've never known that about you. When have you ever gotten a free vacation except there? Uh, down like Rincon for Harris. Where's Rincon? He's saying all these... Pa- inland, in, inland San Diego. <laughs> I mean, this guy... I, I mean, you grew up in Northern California, right, Producer Matt? I did. And it, it, like, do you go around just saying Rincon like it's like some place that everyone knows? Didn't even know where Rincon was. Yeah, it's like, it, dude, you're, you're, you're in La La Land. You are in La La Land. That somehow you were making an excuse. It'd be like, this is hilarious, actually. It was like, I bet, I have we ever spoken to how many times you visited your wife's hometown? Never. I said, I guarantee you've been there a bunch. Hmm. All right? Right? I just did. And you said, and here's the funny part. He goes, well, yes, but. And I'm thinking, what could he be saying next? And it's like, it's Rincon. <laughs> the thing is, if that answered itself. <laughs> and really, the only case you could make was that somehow her sister supposedly is running a bunch of... How many hotels can one person run, first of all? She's, she's already like, running a bunch of them. She's got three or four down She's there. not running any she's of them. Managing them. She's managing them. Yeah. She's not managing any. If you manage a hotel, you're on site and you're managing Yes, it. and she's managing the managers at the other side. So she's she not one. managing the hotel. So you're misrepresenting what's happening. Yes. She's some supervisor that drives around, looks around. They're scared when she's there and she drives away. <laughs> Pretty much. Okay. So let's call a spade a spade here. So to me, if you would have said, well, let me tell you, this might sound like an excuse, but <laughs> you're talking... <laughs> 
you're talking like Sulu now. Actually. <laughs> Here's the thing. <laughs> oh, it'd be great. I mean, Sulu loves publicity. If we could get him to do a few. In fact, Mackenzie, we got a side job for you. We got to reach out to Sulu, show him the podcast numbers and say we want him to do a few reads. That's all he's got to do. And the reads will be like saying, I'm Steve Fezzik, and I know where Rincon is. <laughs> Anyone that listens to Howard Stern is laughing very hard right now because this would be ideal. And, oh, God, I think I would pay. We might even pay him, actually, which I don't want to do, but we might have to. How funny that would be. We might have to find, is there any imitator of, what's his name? I'm forgetting his George name. George Takei? Yeah. Look up George Takei Imitator. I guarantee we can get him for 30 bucks. And this is going to be great. We got to check the tape on all the cities he named. And, and, but he said somehow that the name of the city was supposed to tell us that it was okay that he was there all the time. Where I, First of all, it's okay if you want to be there, right? But here's the thing. You didn't do that. If you would have said, well, my wife has a sister who actually has a lot of pool at these hotels – she works for him, and we get free stays. So, hey, whenever I have a chance to get away for a couple of days, we just jet over. That makes a ton of sense. I would still drill down a little deeper, but the fact you led with the city, and then you said two cities at once without taking a breath, like they do in France, like where they talk about like blah, 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 on the beach of the blah, blah, blah. You know how you hear that? It sounded just, I was thinking, I thought she was a man. I didn't know she was like from Monaco or something. I was like, I was trying, seriously. Why did you say, I still want to understand why you said both names at once. I should have just said Carmel. I know, but why did you do that? Because she lives in Monterey, so it's the first place that mo- popped so why not in my say, head. So why not say Monterey? Because Carmel is much more recognized as like a destination And you figured that place. out as you were saying the, the first word. Everyone can't be R.J. Bell. Well, no, but I was just trying to say it's interesting. No, no, no. I say goofy things all the time, but the key is they always tell you something. And what it tells me is that you thought those names were going to tell the story. That's the story here. Mm. And it's like you realize hardly anyone knows what you're talking about. That this is another Silver Spoons. We won't play it, but it's another. You are right, because I thought everyone thought of Carmel. Hey, Clint Eastwood was the mayor. I thought everybody knew about Carmel. You're right. And they don't. Population 3.7 thousand. Three point. You mean 3,700 people. (laughs) Yeah. There's as many people, if it wasn't, if it was any other time, there's more people at the Bellagio right now. <laughs> They're staying it's like, at the Bellagio. Yeah, it's insane. All right. You are the most silver spoon mother effer I, I've ever met. I've never been around this. I don't know if you know my dad's a coal miner. All right, last thing on this, though. Matt, you grew up silver spoon, I think it's fair to say. I mean, let's just say this. You grew up near Silicon or in Silicon Valley, right? That's correct. I mean, I know you're going to want to put all these qualifications on things. Then it was time for college. No community college for you. You went to where? UCLA. Yes, UCLA. And I'm guessing you didn't have a full ride. I paid for myself. Wow. Wow. Okay, that's impressive. All right. So, I mean, I'm serious. All right. So then you said when you're done, time to get a job, time to start earning. That's right. But no, not really. No, I, I did. For how long? Right away. But for how long? Did I have a job? How long before you went to college <laughs> again? Oh, uh, that's a, three years. All right. So three, and you said, I'm sick of this. Back to school. <laughs> that's right. Ronnie Dangerfield style, right? Yes. And then where'd you happen to go? 
Columbia. Columbia. And then you were just, let me see, did you live in Brooklyn? I lived on 125th uh-huh. Street. Yeah, Manhattan. Like <laughs> you, could, you were hanging out. Really, it was the same time, if I'm doing the math right, pretty much of uh, Sex in the City. That's correct. You probably saw tapings of Sex in the City. You know what? I, I hadn't thought about it until this very moment, <laughs> but yes. How do I know these things? <laughs> More than once, I'd, I'd seen them taping. <laughs> and it was just normal to you? Normal. It wasn't some big deal. Oh, there's Carrie Bradshaw. Maybe I'll see her later at the club. <laughs> yeah, you know, she would call me. <laughs> now, what do you think of this? Because you, now, the funny thing is, it's not truly all this. You grew up with, you didn't have a ton of money. You're working, you know, working class, but the upper echelon, let's call it a working class, it's fair to say. Yeah. Okay. And then you've had a privileged life since. No. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? You go to Ivy Leagues at UCLA, if you don't have enough money, it's on you, buddy. That's exactly right. You it fi- is on me. <laughs> you finally arrived, though. You hit you hit Mecca here. I did. So <laughs> if you don't care about money, you hit Mecca. So here's the thing. How egregious. We should come up with the silver spoon scale, right? How many spoons? <laughs> it's one to five spoons. How many spoons is it? Five. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that it's the Max Spoons. Max Spoons. Carmel, why, Carmel, why so egregious? Because two words, Pebble Beach. <laughs> I don't get it. Well, Pebble Beach is a premier a golf course. Yeah, one of the best golf courses in the world by most accounts. I think. Yes. And it's five minutes north of Carmel. Oh my gosh! So he's literally hanging out where people that want to go pay whatever it is, seven hundred bucks or whatever, to play Pebble Beach. I don't even know what it is. Look that up. Mackenzie is I know here in town there's places that are crazy like that wind place is like crazy expensive yeah but they literally are like they figure the people who are staying in the room next to him and he's getting it for free now if you get it for free or do you get a deep discount no I I get the room for free but yeah not the golf no I no yeah. the room the yeah, room. room for free so they're probably paying Oh, if it's in season, I bet they're paying four four fifty for that room. You are very good with your market pricing. <laughs> it was right there, huh? Yes. Holy camoly. Five silver spoons. <laughs> Does yep. that sound right, Mackenzie? Pebble Beach will cost you about seven hundred if you want the cart and the bag. You can so, get in for five fifty if you want to spare those expenses. So, and I said six hundred. So I'm between the two numbers. Exactly right. He is the official odds provider for the Associated Press. No wonder. Jace. All right. I, you know, this is so great. I should just end the show on this. Thanks for listening to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Catch the Wise Guy Roundtable each week. College football released on Wednesday. NFL on Thursday. Don't miss any winners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit podcastone.com and download the Podcast One app. Have a question for RJ? You can contact him directly on Twitter at RJ in Vegas. Live the dream with us each week. On the latest episode of the big podcast with Shaq, the team sits down with likely first round draft pick Joe Burrow. Any disappointment about missing out on that big night that you were expecting? Yeah, you know, there is definitely some disappointment. Right now, I'm planning on just sitting on my couch with my parents and watching it on TV, I guess. Do you uh, worry about the talk, how they try to compare you against Tua? You know, Tua's a great player, just like I am, and just like there's a lot of really good players in the draft, and, you know, we're all looking to make a name for ourselves at the next level, and I guess they'll 
find out 10 years down the road and there's discussions throughout time about it, but, you know, we can't control that. Be sure to check it out on Podcast One or wherever you get your podcasts.